No, I'm just saying, I just never knew Joe was so lizard racist. <laughs> I mean, I guess all lizards just look the same to you. You know, they all sound the same. They all look the same. They all dress the same. I bet if a lizard family moved in next door, you'd probably have something to say about that, wouldn't you? <laughs> That's their big, right. Really, with their I'm big wings human. and their same yes. sounding voices. God, That's Joe, right. I'm really just, I'm really right just now. a human supremacist. Dodge this. I am the father. I'm here on a mission of mercy. There's only one God, man, and I'm pretty sure he doesn't dress like that. Let's put a smile on that face. I want the truth! You can't handle the truth! Open the pod bay doors, huh? I'm sorry, Dave. I'm afraid I can't do that. Welcome to the real world. This is episode 126 of the Movie Bite Podcast, a show where we talk about movies, movie reviews, movie news, trailers, and so much more. Our voices are right now being converted to digital goodness so that we can stream this episode to you on this fine Tuesday, February the 10th, 2015. I'm TJ, your host, and joining me here today are two members of the Royal Abrasics family. It's Joe Darnell and Mikey Fizzle. How are you guys? I'm doing well, TJ. Good evening. Good evening. Uh, I'm just fine, TJ. How are you? How are, how are the royal affairs going? <laughs> oh, why did you have to make an association between me and this movie? Like, of all the movies. So, I'd much <laughs> rather you had left me out of this movie. Anyway. Well, you, you, you're Balaam Abrasix, uh, Joe. <laughs> and, uh, and, Mikey, you can be Titus. I think okay. that fits. You know, yeah. <laughs> Joe has a history of being abrasive mm-hmm. and yes. controlling. Absolutely. Whereas, Gray hair. Whereas I may lie, but dang, if I'm not charming. <laughs> uh, uh, yeah. Yeah. You have a way with women. <laughs> that was, it's, that it's was what true. I was going for. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, speaking I'm of things tall. that I'm going for, or maybe things that I'm not going for, I had a, uh, I was on Twitter about oh, 15 minutes before the show, before we started recording. And I noticed something that made me want to scream and run away in tears and sit in the corner and cry. And uh, it's very sad. And that is that John Stewart is leaving The Daily Show. Can we oh. all just take a minute and weep now? I saw how you slipped that into the show notes. I didn't even see that get put in there. Yeah, it was, well, it was, like I said, it was about 15 minutes before we got started. So uh, I, I don't even know what to say. Like, what do you say to that? Hmm. He... I, it's weird because I'm not like a regular like watcher of the show. I don't watch every single episode all the time, but like I watch mm-hmm. it a lot. Like I'll see something that I'm really interested in and I'll I'll put it up maybe while I'm working on something or getting started in the morning and I'll have it on my screen over off to the side and he'll be saying something interesting or funny. And it's weird. It's this weird thing, right? Like he it, it's it's not really a it, I mean it's a satire show, but it's like he gives better news than news shows do. Well, I was going to say it's where conscientious, conscientious Americans get their news. Right. Exactly. Exactly. So, yeah. Uh, though I'm sure not all of your listeners will agree with that. No, but, I'm sure they won't, but I don't care. I love the, well, I love the daily show. I mean, yeah, I'm a big fan of the daily show. I don't watch it uh, religiously, but I do, especially when they have certain guests on or they're railing on a certain topic. Uh, I think it's, I think it's really great, but I mean, between him now stepping down and Colbert, Colbert having just yeah. left, I, I'm not really sure that 
they're going to be able to fill those shoes. I mean, I don't want to, to you know take away from anyone who they're going to you know tap to 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 come up next. But I mean, like I said, there's a reason that they have been there for so long. Yeah, and, and I think the uh, the one solace I have is if uh, anyone out there likes the Daily Show and you've not been watching what like last week tonight with John Oliver, you were really doing yourself a disservice because I think. Uh, John Oliver has basically taken taken the the premise of the Daily Show, taken some of the satire out of it, mm-hmm. and done something even more incredible. So yeah, he's starting uh, to become one that I watch a lot too. Like uh, he, he's yeah. popping up more and more. Mm-hmm. So so, but it is sad. You know what's what's weird? I never I never realized this. John Stewart has been with the Daily Show for seventeen years. It doesn't seem like mm-hmm. that long. Well, I mean, it's like uh, anything else in this generation. Like, we just don't see people sticking with stuff, you know? You used to get uh, anchors and stuff that would be there for, you know, 20, 30 years. But that just doesn't happen anymore. You go somewhere, you're successful for five to six years, and you move on to the next big thing. So it's really odd that he's been there, which I think is going to be, you know, there. whoever comes next is going to be constantly compared to him. And we can only hope it's more of a... A, a Jimmy Fallon situation as opposed to a Conan situation. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, so I um, I actually posted a clip from uh, The Daily Show earlier today, as a matter of fact. I just I put it on Twitter, and it was his deal. Uh, it was pure gold on uh, Brian Williams. <laughs> <laughs> it was it was amazing. Uh, so just I didn't even realize it was coming later tonight. But, uh, Joe, you've been pretty quiet over there. What do you – are you do you like Jon Stewart? You know, I, I didn't know. I mean, like I'd, I've heard the name on the Internet, and I've seen his – picture on a bunch of memes but honestly i never saw a show of his i, I saw a few clips on youtube That's all. yeah i'm just i'm just a sheltered homeschooler i, I never <laughs> watch tv <laughs> well I, i've never watched him on tv i usually watch him on you know youtube or his you know website or whatever or the comedy central website mm. how do you turn that on again uh the the internet i think you yeah, go yeah. to the www.google.com and you type in what you you the website you're looking for and it'll pull it up i think that's mm. how that works i think okay. you missed it obviously joe's a different demographic so joe what you do is you just clap on and you clap off ah and that's how you get the internet on <laughs> ah gotcha all right well, I mean, I felt like we just I had to mention that. Uh, I suppose it's movie related because he made a movie recently, Rosewater. But um, mm-hmm. you know, sure. I just I couldn't believe he was leaving, but it's, I didn't realize it had been seventeen years. It's so weird. So uh, anyway, I don't know how to segue out of that because that's that's kind of sad and weird and and awful and cool oh, wow. and weird all at the same time. But there's some big news happening. Uh, it, some big news sort of happened last night. Uh, basically, while I was headed to bed, I saw it starting to blow up just as I was kind of heading to brush my teeth and stuff uh, and, and uh, tuck myself in. Um, and that is that Spider-Man is coming back home to the Marvel Universe. He's going to be a part of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. He's going to get more movies that will be um, co-produced by uh, Marvel and, you know, and Sony. Um, and then Marvel's going to have a lot of creative control, although they don't get final say. I think that Sony would be wise to listen to what Marvel Whatever they say. Yeah. Yeah. Basically, I feel like the position that they're in, basically, you know, Kevin Feige will say, hey, we think you should – oh, sure, no problem. Um, so this is uh, – this actually – it's you know completely confirmed. This is not – I mean when I first started seeing it, I'm like, yeah, right. But this is from Marvel.com. Marvel's Kevin Feige to produce next installment of the Spider-Man franchise with Amy Pascal. Sony Pictures Entertainment and Marvel Studios announced today that Sony is bringing Marvel into the amazing world of Spider-Man. Under the new deal, Spider-Man will first appear in a Marvel film from Marvel Cinematic Universe. 
Sony Pictures will thereafter release the next installment of its $4 billion Spider-Man franchise on July 28th, 2017, and a film that will be co-produced by Kevin Feige and his expert team at Marvel and Amy Pascal, or Pascal, Pascal, I'm not sure how you say that. Pascal. Who, Pascal. Um, who, well, yeah. Anyway, who oversaw the franchise launch for the studio 13 years ago. Together, they will collaborate on a new creative direction for the Web Slinger. Sony Pictures will continue the fran- to finance, distribute, and own and have create final creative control of the Spider-Man films. Marvel and Sony Pictures are also exploring opportunities to integrate characters from the Marvel Cinematic Universe into future Spider-Man films. So there's a couple of things we can glean from this. Uh, one is that he is going to appear in a Marvel Cinematic Universe picture first, uh, an existing one, and then he will have his own film. Since that is dated July 28, 2017, I think the only viable option is Captain America the Winter Soldier. So we're not getting Andrew Garfield? <clears throat> no, no, he's mm. gone. He's out. Oh, come on. Mm. Yeah, oh, that's, that's such a shame. shame. I am, I'm not shedding any tears. Yeah, well, he can't I mean, throw I'm, the baby out with the bathwater. He just <laughs> wasn't given the best movies. That's all. Uh, fizz. Well, I think we talked about part of this uh, when we talked about the, the the release dates that Marvel put forth at the time. And I, I think I lamented the fact that me and a whole bunch of other nerds were hoping that uh, Civil War would eventually, or would ha- find a way to have Spider-Man in it, mm. because in the comics, that's a big. I mean, deal. You, you can read the link that I think you're going to put in the show notes. Spider-Man is basically a central figure in Civil War, and so I think the rumor was that they were going to make Black Panther kind of that uh, that central character, but now we might be able to get Spider-Man, so it's pretty close to uh, what we saw in the comics. You know, obviously, the Marvel Cinematic Universe has been taking these comic stories and adjusting them and making them fit to the screen pretty well, so it won't be exactly like it, but uh, Spider-Man's my favorite Marvel character, and I've been pretty upset that he has not had justice done to him, <laughs> converting him to the silver screen. I mean, I'm I'm not even really a big. I mean, I liked the Tobey Maguire Spider-Man movies at the time because I was so excited to see Spider-Man. Yeah, but uh, I I thought Andrew Garfield was a better uh, Peter Parker. Actually, I think he's a better Spider-Man. Um, even though the films that he was in, kind of like Joe, either was joking about or uh, had great uh, an- analysis on. The, the films themselves were not that great. The stories were not that solid. Mm. The villains were we agree. We terrible. Agree on that. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's all terrible. Um, but Andrew Garfield was, I thought he captured the snark and, um, the, the remorse that Peter Parker and the Spider-Man carried around with him. That's so, a very good point. The Tobey Maguire, Sam Raimi movies were better movies, but the, the better, better Spider-Man was Andrew Garfield. Oh, I mean, like, I, I don't even think it's really close. And I feel bad no. because I know yeah. I know Toby Maguire was just doing what they kind of told him. But he, he, he the 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 scripts for like the dialogue and actions of what Spider-Man did were right, even though the greater stories were wrong and the amazing. Anyway, all that to say, I'm very excited because him in the hands of people who don't try to do anything overly complicated. They just give us solid, not just comic book movies, but solid movies. As we've talked about with the Captain America movies being like kind of like a, a war movie, a spy thriller. Like I'm, I'm I think civil war is going to be this very interesting, um, tale that Spider-Man can make an appearance in. And Sony just keeps winning in the 
in this scenario. So, well, but Fizz, okay, it won't be it won't be a Spider Man film without about four or five or six villains. I mean, if you don't have that many villains, how will it be a Spider-Man film? Well, actually I think that's the beauty of, <laughs> that's the beauty of civil war because civil war, depending on which side you're on, everyone's the villain. Sure. Yeah. Um, so I, I think civil war is going to much like when we reviewed, uh, captain America, the winter soldier. Mm-hmm. And we were like, how does a comic book movie end up being a better, like I said, spy espionage thriller right, exactly. than most than most spy espionage thrillers. I think that Civil War has the ability or the potential to be a movie that redefines and blows everyone away. And by and I think the article that you're probably again gonna link in the show notes makes an excellent point. Like how do you go up against Batman versus Superman. Well, okay, you go. You have Iron Man versus Captain America. That's pretty good. But if you throw in Spider Man, you know, besides Wolverine, probably the most popular, uh, you know, Marvel character. What more can you ask for? Yeah, so, I agree. Go ahead, Joe. Well, on that note, you're you're talking complete sense because we all agree that um, Marvel movies have an okay plot. Their villains usually stink. And then the characters, the hero characters, they really shine. So it's the, it's where the heroes are at that, that the audience is with. We care about their portrayals of all the heroes. Now, those belonging to Sony Pictures, not so much. But the Marvel <laughs> Universe, they've got it. And that is probably why the Civil War film is the movie I'm the most interested in. Because mm. it stands the chance of blowing all the others out, out of the water. You don't have to worry about the, the uh, lackluster villains. And you know that the plot is going to be better served simply because it's all going to be where it's at. It's going to be with the heroes. So it's going mm-hmm. to, it's probably going to excel better than the other ones. Yeah, I'm, I mean, I am looking forward to Civil War for, for many of those reasons, Joe, but I am a little concerned. I typically don't like it when our heroes are fighting with each other. And I'm afraid that there may be some of that. Obviously, there's going to be a that's going to be like the thing. But I'm saying as far as whether I like it or not, there may be some angst about that. Uh, we'll have to yes, see. There's bound to be a large chunk of the audience that complain for that very reason that they don't like to see their heroes at war with each other. Yeah, I, I, I typically don't. It's okay to do a little bit, but because I was I actually I've been watching all of the Marvel films with my kids, uh, and uh, just recently we watched Avengers, um, uh, and. It, I even during that movie, like when they were all kind of a little bit at odds, I was waiting in for the reconciliation. Like I wanted to get to the reconciliation where they're all fighting, fighting together against the evil and the bad. And it's like I don't mind if if they're pitted against each other as long as they come back together and they resolve their differences. So it's going to be a little weird with Captain America: Civil War, but I, I am looking forward to it. And I have to say, Captain America films for me have been consistent performers. Like I have loved you know both of them so far. And Mm -hmm. I, you know, even I think I'm ready to say The Winter Soldier is a better film even than the first one, which I really, really love. Um, So I'm hoping that they'll continue this upward trend. And you're absolutely right. Captain America Civil War, to me, looks like from where I'm sitting that it's really going to be another Avengers film. (laughs) And and bringing in Spider-Man into that. Again, we're we're still speculating on that. But it's it's I mean, the writing is there like you can read between the lines. It's what's going to happen is they're bringing Spider-Man into civil war. And that's what this article, again, that you referenced, uh, fizz that's in the show notes, uh, from movie pilot, um, in mo- show notes, by the way, are at moviebyte.com slash MB podcast slash one twenty six, uh, where you can click on that link and get to that article. Uh, they make a pretty good case. And I made the case in my article 
um, that it is going to be civil war. So I'm, I'm definitely excited to see what they're going to do. I do have some questions, though, about we've not met Spider-Man in the Marvel Cinematic Universe before. Um, and my understanding of the way he plays into the uh, into the Civil War is that he's been uh, undecided about what side he is going to be on uh, throughout much of the comic series. And, and I'm just going to read here. Uh, well, it's entirely possible, but the film may well already be far enough ahead in its production to make a, complete, a completely faithful adaptation impossible. After all, the comic book Civil War partly hinged upon the audience watching Spider-Man's long internal debate over which side to join. And it's unlikely that a two-and-a-half-hour movie will have too much time for that, or that Marvel would have planned to give the Black Panther quite so central a role. So there's definitely some questions about how all this is going to work. Are they going to completely rework the scripts? Did they kind of know this is coming for a while, and they finally reached the deal, and so now they're ready to pull that lever? I mean, there's just a lot of questions about all this, but it's all very exciting. Mm-hmm. So my favorite my favorite bit of news on Twitter today about this movie announcement was the the comic strip panel that came out about it. <laughs> yes, <laughs> yeah, it's a picture of Iron Man and Spider Man and Captain America up on a rooftop. Do you have uh, that ready to drop into the show notes somewhere? <laughs> I do. Yeah, and Iron Man <laughs> says we have money, and <laughs> Spider Man is like grabbing hold of him and puts his head on his chest, like, "Oh, thank you, thank God." Yes, yes, yeah, <laughs> I love it. Fun. Yeah, I uh, I agree. Uh, it's exciting <laughs> times. Fizz, you're about to say something, I think. Well, no, I was just going to point out that I, to your point earlier, when you're talking about you don't want to see like the Avengers at odds with each other, and I don't think I necessarily do either, except for the one conceit that I know we've mentioned uh, on past podcasts, and that some of the best villains that you'll ever see are the ones that are convinced 100 percent that they're doing the right thing. Yeah. And what we're going to have in Civil War are two sides that I think audience members are going to be like they're going to have to make a choice. You know, like what both of these guys, both of these uh factions are doing this for the right reasons, but mm-hmm. someone ha- you just have to have an ideology that says, "Well, this is more important." So, I I think it's going to be like wonderfully divisive. And like I said, which is why I think it has a chance to, you know, break out of that mold that joe mentioned earlier where they typically have a marvel cinematic universe films have weak villains we won't have that problem because we're going to be like arguing with each other who the real villain is well i've got to tell you i uh i love iron man i love the journey that tony stark has been on i love how far he's come but i am team captain america all the way do you know why you're team captain america (laughs) please tell me I, well, I mean, no, I'm, I'm saying like, do you, do you understand what civil war is about? No, I, I'm, I'm completely just saying based off of my previous, I have no idea what the civil war story oh, really? is. Um, I know more oh, about okay. this film than TJ does. Yeah, I'm sure you do. I, I've said before, I'm a fan of the movies and I would like to be a fan of the comics, but this is not something I fit into my life. Like mm-hmm. I am so busy that it's just really hard to, to, to find the time to, to do that. So in some other day when TJ brushes up on this movie, we can have the movie bite civil war and TJ and <laughs> yeah, Mike can duke right. it out. We're going to have the movie bite civil war here in a few minutes anyway. <laughs> well, I was going to say, I, I was team captain America in civil war, but I know what the plot is. And, and so we don't spoil it for anyone listening who doesn't want to know any more about the movie than they'll have to, uh, like maybe after the podcast, I'll, I'll give you like the, the one minute version. Okay. Yeah. I'm, I'm okay with a one minute version. I don't want too much yeah. spoiled, but yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I'm okay with a one minute version. I'll, I'll put that. Yeah. As a Cause this show is not about spoilers. We... No spoilers. Yeah, no, of course not. 
I'll make that a tag like we did a few episodes ago um, on the end of the show if you're interested in that. After the music goes away, if we if we happen to remember to talk about it, I'll put it there. <laughs> so, all right. Well, that's that's the uh, – oh, the, the other news is that several uh, – four of the films mm-hmm. shifted their release date in wake of this news. Um, and those four films were uh, Thor Ragnarok, uh, Black Panther, Captain Marvel, and Inhumans. Uh, phase two stays the same. Uh, the Avengers Age of Ultron and Ant-Man coming out this year. They're on the same dates, May 1st and July 17th. Uh, phase three stays the same. Is that right? Yes. Phase three in two, I mean, I'm sorry, 2016, I should go, go by year. 2016 stays the same. Uh, Civil War comes out at the same time, May 6th, 2016. Doctor Strange comes out November 4th, 2016. And then 2017 is where stuff starts shifting and we've inserted a new movie, obviously Sony's, uh, Spider-Man. Uh, which we will assume uh, without any, I mean, because Spider-Man is part of the Avengers now or part of the Marvel Cinematic Universe, we'll assume that the continuity remains, even though Sony's maintaining final creative control over those films. We're assuming the same continuity. Mm-hmm. Well, I don't think they would produce it without, so. Right, I, I, I wouldn't think yeah. so. So, anyway, exciting times. Uh, this is the Marvel Bite uh, podcast. Well, I was going to say, I was going to say, if you're going to uh, keep Marvel, we have another Marvel item. Yeah, instead actually, of going I, in, in order. Yeah, I meant to rearrange those earlier, and I forgot. So we will we will do that next. Uh, and what we're talking about here is Netflix's first uh, trailer for Daredevil, which is a Marvel production. Let's let's take a quick listen to the trailer. Bless me, Father, for I've sinned. It's been too long since my last confession. been preoccupied of late with questions of morality of right and wrong good and evil so that was a quick clip from the trailer for the upcoming netflix tv show uh daredevil which is a marvel production and uh i it sounds like one of those uh horror films you like so much mike (laughs) (laughs) what i don't love horror films i just you know i appreciate good ones like I, I heard your your lecture on horror films a while back. Mm-hmm. That's why I'm, I'm just proud That's of. a great one. You can find that at. <laughs> That's right. The other podcast. Uh, you'll get a chance to do that later. No. <laughs> um, yeah, it's it's interesting. This feels in some ways maybe darker, but in some ways it felt a lot like Arrow to me. Like the idea of it, you know, in his city, he's here to protect his city. Now, obviously, you know, it's a completely different hero. He's blind and everything. And, and Arrow I thought it arrows, reminded but, me of Dexter. Huh, I haven't seen Dexter. Um, yeah, you know, just a creepy dude that's got questions about dude. morality. Yeah. I'm gonna kill a bunch of people, Father. I don't know what to uh, do about it. What is it, Fizz? Well, I'm gonna say. So this was my like. I had a problem with the trailer, even though I'm I, I, I caveat it with the fact that I'm super excited. I'm gonna mm-hmm. binge the crap out of this show of when course. it comes out. Of course, we are. We <laughs> you know, are actually. So so understanding that, I was a little disappointed because uh, Daredevil has been done really really terribly mm-hmm. and in in a few cases exceptionally well and really? i i'm i'm really hoping that they do some of the exceptionally well uh stories yeah. or they, they lean that way and, and it's hard to imagine like i said again we keep coming back to like the success of the marvel cinematic universe like i'm hoping that they since they have like the with the ten or thirteen episode probably format, they're making this in a really long movie mm-hmm. as opposed to doing kind of going in the direction of Shield, 
Um, because Shield to me is probably the worst thing that Marvel's done. Oh, gosh, but no, we can't talk about huh. that. Please, please don't continue down that track. But but like they've improved with Agent Carter, and I'm hoping that they've they've even pr- improved upon that with uh, with this you know making of Daredevil. But the the stuff in the trailer to me doesn't remind me of like the Matt Murdock that I know mm. or that I that I've mm. read. Um, and the the darkness of it kind of seems a little uh i'm probably going to pronounce this wrong incongruous incongruous um, yeah uh, um with uh with the rest of the marvel cinematic universe because uh you know the the cinematic universe has has like a depth to it but it's never depressing it's never dc basically so i think maybe um, marvel is trying to reposition themselves a little and say we can do it all like maybe that's what they're going for yeah, it's um, a little bit dark horse for their films. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, now the question that I have though is like you you say it doesn't remind you very much of the what would you say his name was? Um uh, Matt, Matt Murdock. Matt Murdock. It doesn't remind yeah. you of Matt Murdock that you know, but do any of the Marvel Cinematic Universe heroes haven't they changed significantly from their comic book counterparts and not the comic all of books them, not have adapted altogether. to match what the Marvel Cinematic Universe is doing is my understanding, but but many of them, they've, they've been altered quite a bit. Yeah, they all have rift, but I don't think that any of them have left the spirit of the source material. Mm-hmm. Like Spider-Man I mean, still feels like his truth is the spirit Spider-Man, Spider-Man doesn't count. He's not, he's not Marvel Cinematic it. Universe, not yet. Yeah, but he's still a Marvel property. I don't give a hoot about but who's making movies. But we're but talking, same thing's okay, but it, it, does, it does make a difference, Joe. We're talking about Marvel. We're not talking about Sony. You know, Sony can yeah. do whatever they want. Now, now, we'll be able to talk about Spider-Man once we've seen what his character looks like. But for this purpose, we're talking about Marvel and Marvel Studios. No. Okay, so Captain so, America and Iron Man, the same thing goes. Okay. Well, I'm, yeah, I was gonna say for for the for the most part, I, I think I think Joe kind of said it probably right. You know, like of course they riff on the comic book characters a little bit, um, but for the for the most part, I think they they stay true to the nature of those uh, those characters. The only ones that I think differ are the Guardians of the Galaxy because I think they kind of almost reinvented that to a certain degree. Mm-hmm. You know what? I but, forgot about them. That's a good point. But but even then, the the comics that have come out recently for Guardians of the Galaxy are have already kind of reinvented themselves. So I mean, it's the the Guardians are not so similar to the original Guardians comics, but they're semi similar to the the more recent Guardians comics, and especially now, obviously, people who buy Guardians of the Galaxy comics are going to expect it to be you know, more like what they saw at the theater. So they're going to be a, a lot closer there. So I, I don't really think it's that, that far of a cry, but you know, like I said, daredevil, there's a, there's a lot of ways you can go with daredevil. So even though it's not what I was expecting, doesn't mean that it won't stay true to daredevil in general. And daredevil does actually, Laura, my, my wife said the same thing when she saw the trailer, she, she kind of re- said, it reminds me a lot of arrow. Mm-hmm. Um, and I mean, it, it kind of does have a lot of, arrow-esque things in it a yeah. dude who's just hanging out at city it, but it's it's that that's that thing you see a lot it's the the batman uh arrow you know daredevil kind yeah. of thing i guess for me when i say it felt like arrow that this by the same you know in the same breath i'm saying it feels very dc-ish which i'm not necessarily a huge fan of Mm. You, you know, I actually thought of it in another light. What it made me think of it was Netflix. It reminds me of the House of Cards uh, mystique. Mm. It's like uh, this is mm. Daredevil in Francis Underwood's world. Because, <laughs> actually, yeah, <laughs> interesting. Yeah, I mean, like this is this doesn't have the feel of an AMC, sorry, an ABC network kind of show like we already brought up with Agents of Shield. And it actually raises the question: 
like we haven't talked about this before on the show, but Marvel and uh, has this production going through Netflix, not through ABC. And ABC is a part of the great big monopoly that also owns Disney properties and Marvel movie properties and stuff like that. So that's why the agents of shield was on ABC. Did did y'all have any thoughts about why the daredevil show wound up on Netflix instead of their own channel, their own network? I I think that they are just putting their, their hand and they want their fingers in all the pies and Netflix is a huge piece of pie. Netflix, uh, they see what's going on with, with the shows that Netflix is doing. And make no mistake, Netflix is producing some pretty doggone good content. You've got, you know, House of Cards. Uh, I hear, I haven't seen it, but I hear good things, you know, as far as the people who like it about Orange is the New Black. Um, uh, there's, there's other shows that they're doing. I can't think of them off the top of my head. But the point is that Netflix is a huge piece of the pie, and they went in on that piece of pie. And yes, they have ABC, and Disney owns ABC, and ABC is doing fine. They're not going anywhere. Uh, and I, I just have to insert here, Fizz, that I completely disagree with you. I think Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. is amazing, and I can't wait for it to come back. And I think Agent Carter is even more amazing. I really love that show. Um, so, but I, And I'm, I'm thinking that I'm not going to like Daredevil as much, but we'll see how that, that goes. But it, to your point, Joe, I think that, that, that Marvel is, is trying to stay ahead of the curve. They're not trying to be left behind like, some, like, like we feel like is happening or is going to happen to so many of these studios and, and stuck in the old school ways. They're mm. they're trying to stay with and, and, and ahead of the curve. That's good. And for what it's worth, I really did enjoy the basic premise of the Daredevil mythology because it's a blind man. He's strong. He's kind of got the Batman qualities about him and his crime fighting skills. But then he's also sort of a combination of other characters because his I think that his secret identity is going to be more interesting to explore than, say, the secret identity of uh, the Hulk or uh, what what is his name? Like suddenly escaping me. Even Captain America's secret identity well, is practically non-existent and really uninteresting the, because he is one and the same guy all the time. Yeah, Marvel doesn't tend to have secret identities. The the big exception right. to that is Spider Man, right? Um, and Daredevil, and and obviously Daredevil. So um, I mean, because Matt Murdock's a lawyer, so like he has this thing. Like Daredevil is always fighting. Like uh, he wants to bring criminals in and then have the justice system take care of them. Like he doesn't want, he doesn't want to like kill people, um, which is why like the gritty trailer was kind of like, really? Or like the, forgive me father for the things I'm about to do, you yeah, know? It sounds very but, uh, Batman or Arrow yeah. <laughs> again, yeah. Arrow. Yeah. So I'm like, well, well, that's not really, I mean, the, the, the conflict in, you know, all, all, all uh, superheroes and their f- secret identities always have to wrestle with something um, in, in each life. And, and Matt Murdock is frustrated because he's a lawyer and he's a good lawyer and he wants to put bad guys away, but he realizes with the Kingpin and, you know, all these crime bosses that he, he can't always win through the justice system because of corruption. So, you know, Daredevil is the other way to take care of that, but it's still bringing them in, ushering through them through the system and letting the system win. Mm-hmm. And so, like, I'm interested to see that play out um, well, because I don't think it's played out very well in Arrow. Um, So uh, I also think Netflix allows Daredevil to do things that you can't do on ABC. Oh, for sure. That will be very interesting to see. (laughs) Um, Yeah, I I don't know whether I'm going to be happy or not happy about that. Time will tell. Uh, So so like I said, Dexter. (laughs) All right, so that's uh, that's the Marvel stuff. Uh, we have some other news here, and uh, this is uh, this this is more weepy news, like we had at the beginning of the show with John Stewart leaving, but weepy in an entirely different way, more rage-inducing, perhaps is is the right 
word, and, and that is that uh, Lionsgate, they want kind of in on all the sequel, prequel stuff that, you know, and the, they want to build their own little universe mm. over here. Marvel's got their universe, DC's got theirs, so why can't Lionsgate have a universe? So they want to make Hunger Games sequels and prequels. This is according to Kevin Jagernoth over at The Playlist. Uh, Feltheimer says the studio is actively looking at some development and thinking about prequel and sequel possibilities because obviously hashtag obvi <laughs> <laughs> granted the world of pan m is a potentially interesting to explore but before they rush on anything uh to make a fast buck let's hope they really consider the possibilities and don't rush out the hunger games the chronicles of gale or how about the story of hamish before he became lovingly jaded i'd watch a whole movie <laughs> of bd and wireless being super dorks but maybe it's a good thing i'm not in charge of a studio because that would make zero dollars <laughs> This is such a bad idea. This no, is such why? a bad idea. Why? You think you, you think it's okay for them to just make prequels and sequels? Because there, there like, are three books, and we've got four movies based on three books, and now yeah. they want to make more than that. But that's kind of like saying that after you have Return of the Jedi, you shouldn't return to Star Wars. You know, just because. And just I think because. so far we've been that that theory has been proven right. People who <laughs> say that, I would say that they have a pretty valid point. No, no, I mean, think think about all the novels that came out before G- George Lucas okay. came back. Novels. You know, there, there was some pretty good material there. Not novels perfect, not a perfect track record, but there was pretty good material there. Yeah, they killed Chewie. What do you, I mean, the novels aren't perfect for sure. No, but I mean, you're talking about like uh, more than a hundred novels practically, and you, one of them kills Chewie. Oh, throw them all out. No, <laughs> no we, we don't need to do that. And there was some pretty good material there. If they had wanted to stick to the material they had created in the novelizations, I'm sure they could have found plenty to go around for movies that would have been well worth their time and audiences' time since the time they made the prequels and all the way up to the present. But, but the same it kind of reigns true for the Hunger Games. You know, if you want to. Make the continuing story, then why don't you just go back and, you know, in a prequel, tell us how they got into this scenario with their uh, form of government in the first place. Like there was a civil war a long time ago. I would like to kind of know what that epic civil war was about. You think there's story here for to tell? Uh, yeah, I don't think you can carry it on with the same characters. It, it, this is sort of like the Harry Potter, uh, cri- you know, crisis, you know, right? We're supposed to be getting another Harry Potter universe movie, but it doesn't have Harry Potter's characters. Well, in it, yeah, right? th- that's also different though, because this is uh, from the mind of the writer of the books. Like uh, this doesn't feel like there's any involvement of the writer of the Hunger Games books from what I can tell. Well, yeah, sure. Sure. The Lionsgate has initiated the conversation, but inevitably the author is going to have to be involved. I mean, he's got all the material. Hmm. Fizz, what do you think about all this? Uh, I could be, nope. I could not be less interested. <laughs> I'm not interested. I just don't think it's going to necessarily be a belly flop. Mm. Well, I'll, I'll say it. I'll say it this way too. I don't think that your star Wars kind of comparison is without merit, but at least from where I'm sitting, the Star Wars universe is incredibly more interesting than the world of Pan Am, especially to me. Yeah. And so, I mean, like I said, it's not without merit, but, and I think they did obviously screw up the the first three Star Wars prequels pretty bad. <laughs> um, but people are still super jacked about going to see another Star Wars movie because the world is super, super interesting. And I don't think that in 30 years, people are going to be talking about how interesting the world of Pan Am is. No, so, no, I, don't um, so. I just, I, I just, I don't think there's enough there. I think Pan Am is enough of a setting 
to get you to care about a character that goes through one journey through three books or four movies. And then once that's over, it's going to be over because I'm already losing interest in, in the movies. So, uh, yeah. Sequels and prequels. No, thank you. Yeah. I, I, I'm more with you, Fizz. I, I don't see that there's more story here to tell. Uh, what, I mean, what are you going to do? What are you going to do? We, we already know, like, it's kind of like how the reason I feel like the Star Wars prequels flopped is the same reason why I feel prequels would flop here. What story is there to tell? We well, know, that, like with Star Wars and like with Pan Am, we know that things fell into disarray and chaos and there's evilness. The story of how we get there, especially now that we've told the story of how we got out of there, is not very interesting. Well, just be careful when you use the word flop because the first three Star Wars films are terrible. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm using the wrong word. Um, but, but they made an incredible amount of money, which is why... I, I believe I don't, the measure I, you're looking for, Fizz, is a metric butt ton. <laughs> yeah, so the I don't begrudge Lionsgate for making them if people will pay to see them. Mm. I just do not personally have any interest in spending my money on that. So yeah, I'd rather watch... the. Like I'm already so jacked about Mad Max Fury Road. I can't wait till the next Mad Max film after that. <laughs> That's what I want to see. That's a world that I would be into. Okay, then. Yeah, I when I say that the Star Wars films flopped, I, it's the wrong word. You're right. Uh, they were not flops. <laughs> they were cinematic failures. <laughs> they were only flops artistically. Ar- they were not, artistic- not monetarily. Yeah. They were they were flops artistically. That's 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 more what I was getting at. Yeah, yeah. Speaking of flops, we're going to be moving towards we're we're barreling towards our review here, and this is related to our review. <laughs> and uh, this is the news that Jupiter Ascending flopped, but SpongeBob succeeded at the box office this past weekend. The movie, the SpongeBob movie, Sponge Out of Water, opened to a much larger than expected fifty-six million dollar haul this weekend. Ding! Far beyond the expected thirty million folks predicted. But the bigger headline belongs to Jupiter Ascending with a price tag in the neighborhood of $175 million. The first whiff of trouble arrived last year when Warner Brothers abruptly pushed the film from a scheduled summer plot just weeks before it was due to be released. The line trotted out was that more time was needed on post-production, but w- but it would seem the studio had good reason to be worried for the movie. And we can debate that, whether that was a wise strategy. But this is the Wachowskis' worst opening since Speed Racer. And while Cloud Atlas did even lower numbers, it also bowed in 1,000 fewer cinemas on its first weekend. I cannot (laughs) describe my disappointment in the world in which I live that SpongeBob can make more money than a sci-fi fantasy space opera. I, I don't understand what's happening here. Oh, I kind of see it coming because, you know, SpongeBob has a long track record of, you know, entertaining I, kids and families at home. I saw the, the Jupiter Ascending flop coming. I did not see the SpongeBob Triumph coming. What is ha- What is even oh, happening kidding, here? Man? What it's is insanely happening? popular. People love yeah. that show. Yeah, I mean, like, SpongeBob is, to start, insanely popular. Mm-hmm. Also, there haven't been any kids' movies that have come out in the past month that were, you know, anywhere like what, what else were they going to take their kids to see? And every year, and we, you know, we talk about this all the time every year, some of the top grossing films 
of the year are always kids' movies, even if they're terrible kids' movies. Yeah, I'm not planning on taking my kids to see this. Well, but that's not the point. Everyone else is going to go take their kids to be babysat by these movies. And so every year, if you look at the top like 20 films of the year, even terrible, terrible animated movies will always find their way into the top 20 because of the sheer numbers of people that are going to see them. Mm. It's funny because when you're at home, you wouldn't sit down and watch these cartoons with your kids, but you'll go to the movies and you'll pay 30 bucks to watch it with them for two yeah. hours. Ugh. <laughs> So, I mean, like, you know, you're you're going to have a movie like this making tons of money, whether it's good or not. And from all critical reviews, it's been fairly positive. It's been like, well, this was a pretty decent movie. And so you you com- combine pretty decent movie with insanely popular TV show with is meant for kids. I mean, you're going to I'm I'm surprised that 30 million was all that they projected. I would have projected more than that. And, but, you know, to combine that i I did also assume that jupiter ascending was gonna flop well not flop i I thought it'd be do slightly better than it did but Uh, me too i I knew it wasn't gonna beat um spongebob yeah just based on how poorly the wachowski's films have been received uh i i knew that jupiter ascending was not going to do well but this just is amazing to me i I don't know my my faith in the world is shaken my faith but that is a very interesting point that the wachowski's films are not all hits they then and i think that their reputation precedes them that they are remembered for the matrix but they're also remembered for the other films that grossly disappointed people like even cloud atlas i can't think of anyone who especially liked cloud atlas no so with that bad taste left in your mouth for an overly bloated film I think that people were just kind of like, I think I can wait until this comes out on home entertainment if it's worth watching. Well, it should be noted that the Wachowski's biggest earner was uh, The Matrix Reloaded, which is the worst in the Matrix trilogy, unfortunately. Uh, $742 million worldwide is what The Matrix Reloaded made. Uh, the Matrix, the original film, made $463 million worldwide. Um, and The Matrix Revolutions made $427 million worldwide. And since then, I don't think they've even broke $100 million, have they? I'd have to. I don't have yeah, all those to, figures in front of me. But uh, I, yeah, it's they've been doing pretty poorly. Cloud Atlas was a particularly big bummer. I would be really shocked if the Wachowskis get to make a big budget film again. Um, I, I think that they're. I think that they are uh, box office poison at this point, which is unfortunate, as as we'll talk about in a minute. Well, I wouldn't. I wouldn't go as far to say that they're box office poison. Uh, well, I am. I, what I mean is, I think the studios will say that or think well, that. Go ahead. I, I, I think if M. Night Shyamalan is still making movies, then the Wachowskis will still be able to make movies. Maybe not for $170 million, but they probably can still do a lot with, you know, 80 or $90 million. Now, um, if I'm going to pick one of these two, either M. Night Shyamalan or the Wachowskis, to keep making movies, I pick the Wachowskis. Good oh, yeah, gracious. Hands down. <laughs> I mean, because, like I said, I, I, would, I would be ready to admit that I, I actually kind of like Cloud Atlas. Um, I didn't... Uh, think it was the greatest movie ever, but I was like, you know what? I can see why people would hate this. And I don't, I think it's actually kind of brilliant, but it just, it's different. And I completely respect that, but it's, it kind of goes along with what they do because almost every movie they make has an audience, like a specific audience. And those audience, their movies rarely have a wide audience appeal. The Matrix was so revolutionary mm-hmm. that it it found an audience that it wasn't intended for. Yes. Like Good that point. You, yeah, I mean like the Matrix wasn't meant 
to be watched by families, you know? No, not but, at all. But everyone went to see The Matrix because it was so revolutionary. Speed Racer had an audience. Uh, Cloud Atlas had an audience. Jupiter Ascending has an audience. And unfortunately, I think about $20 million is probably the reach of most of that audience. Um, yeah. So uh, I think they do what I think they set out with a mission to make a particular movie for a particular interest of person. And those people tend to enjoy it and everyone else doesn't stop to even watch it. And that that's really hard to, to do when you want to make a $170 million movie for, you know, 15% of the population. Well, with that, why don't we, we've already basically done it. So why don't we officially move into our review of Jupiter ascending? You've been taught that the birthplace of the human race is Earth, but it's not. Do you know what this will do to people when they find out the truth? I don't think that most people would want to know the truth. I do. Your planet was seeded by a brass axe industries roughly 100,000 years ago. It's one of the most powerful dynasties in the universe. There are three primary heirs. The oldest is Belem. He's the one that controls this planet and wants you dead. I'm telling you, I'm nobody. That was from the trailer for Jupiter Ascending, uh, the film which we'll be reviewing. It was released on February the 6th of this year. It had a budget of $176 million, and it opened $18.3 million. Worldwide gross thus far is $53.4 million. The critic consensus is that it is pleasing to the eye but narratively befuddled. Jupiter Ascending delivers another visually thrilling misfire from the Wachowskis. The director and the writers were the Wachowskis. And the stars of this film are Mila Kunis uh, as Jupiter Jones, Channing Tatum as Kane Wise, Sean Bean as Stinger Apini, uh, Eddie Redmayne as Balaam Abrasix, Douglas Booth as Titus Abrasix, and... Tupence Middleton as Kalik Abrasix, the composer, wonderful score by Michael Giacchino. Uh, one of uh, again, uh, we've had a really good run of scores lately, at least for some of the, several of the films that I've been seeing, uh, and I think that Michael Giacchino did really, really good on this one. Uh, so, Joe, why don't you tell us a little bit about the storyline here? Sure, sir. Let me find that in the outline. Jupiter <laughs> Jones was born under a night sky, with signs predicting that she was destined for great things. Now grown, Jupiter dreams of the stars, but wakes up to the cold reality of a job cleaning toilets and an endless run of bad breaks. Only when Kane, a genetically engineered ex-military hunter, arrives on Earth to track her down does Jupiter begin to glimpse the fate that has been waiting for her all along. Her genetic signature marks her as next in line for an extraordinary inheritance that could alter the balance of the cosmos. The balance, sir. All right. The cosmos. Guys, I have some opening thoughts, and I know, Joe, that you're going to be jumping up and down with anger at, at me or whatever. No, no, no. I sincerely <laughs> want to understand the film a little bit more because th there was a lot going into this film. I mean, I'm not going to say that this was a half-baked film or that it was a simple ploy to make money off of <laughs> the idiots around the world. Uh, this, this film was a real attempt to create a clever space opera. 
And I think that the Wachowskis are probably proud of their work. It seems like it's one of their signature works. Um, kind of like my, uh, Mike mentioned a minute ago, there's something to be liked about Cloud Atlas, even though it has many flaws. And we see a lot of those flaws repeated in this film. I don't want to err and say that there was nothing to like. Mm. Um, and I definitely appreciate filmmakers that seem to really get invested in their work. And it seems like they were trying to be true to themselves. So anyway, I want to hear more about what you liked and more of your uh, your apology for this film. Apology. I make no apology. Uh, before I get started, mm-hmm. uh, Fizz, do you have any opening remarks? Oh, I thought you were going to start with your opening remarks. Well, I want to give you guys a chance. You know, I, I don't want to be the sole voice on this podcast. <laughs> he wants to give us a chance. He's going to give us a fighting <laughs> chance, Mike. Come on, go for it. <laughs> okay, so what I would say about this movie... Uh, what people, what I've told people since they've been asking me, uh, I usually couch it like this. To me, Jupiter Ascending was not a great movie, but it's not really supposed to be. It was supposed to be entertaining. And you know what? When I, when that, when the uh, credits rolled at the end, I said, dang it, I was entertained that entire time. I, I don't want to think too hard about some of the plot points that they were trying to stick to, mm-hmm. but I was visually engaged. I thought it was fun at times and I enjoyed the action pieces. I enjoyed looking at the costumes, the CGI, the sheer imagination and scope of what they were trying to do. And it reminded me of watching some of the older sci-fi movies that I did uh, growing up where you'd, they, they were like, hey, there's this scientific concept that we really can't explain and we're not really going to try to. We're just going to show you some really cool sci-fi stuff. Yeah. And, and I feel that we, for better or worse, recently have been um, – we've had an overabundance of really, really good and really, really smart sci-fi I think of like Edge of Tomorrow or mm-hmm. something like that. Yeah, a- and I think we're we're a little um, we're a little we're a little spoiled, and we think it has to be both. And I think sci-fi can just be fun, and for the most part, I, like I said, I would say that I was entertained by this movie, even though I would never ever argue that this movie was great. Um, but I think people will probably miss out on this in the theater. But when it comes out, like when they're watching it on TV, it's not something they would ever choose to put in their DVD player or their Blu-ray player, whatever digital download. I don't care. Um, but when they when they when they're scrolling through the channels and it just happens to be on TV, they'll stop and they'll watch it and finish it. I think that's how entertaining this movie is. Okay. Well, I will certainly put this in my Blu-ray player. I love this film quite a lot. Um, I I find the criticism surrounding this film quite depressing. Um, I, I, I don't understand why we can't just have a really fun sci-fi fantasy flick. Um, and this film delivers as far as I can tell more or less what we've been wanting from the Wachowskis when it's certainly what I was wanting when I went to see Jupiter. I'm sorry, not Jupiter sending this one. We're talking about cloud Atlas. When I went to see cloud Atlas, this is the one that I wanted. And so I was, I was thrilled with this film. Um, but I think the problem is that it seems like this is what I was talking about earlier. It seems like the Wachowskis are for, for some reason, somewhat box office poison right now. Um, I think that maybe 
we have this expectation of what the Wachowskis can do because they made the Matrix. We forget they made Matrix Reloaded sometimes. <laughs> um, and this this film is way better than Matrix Reloaded. I'm not going to say it's as good as the Matrix because it's not. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, it's not anywhere near as good as the Matrix. I, I will love the Matrix uh, probably to my dying day, and this film is not that. Uh, I would say it's probably better even than the third Matrix film, which I, I actually liked quite a bit. Um, I I really like this film, and the criticism surrounding it is just really depressing. Like it's it's almost like they can do no right anymore. They they are now poison <laughs> at the box office. This is what it feels like to me, having come out of that theater, having really enjoyed myself. Like I just thought it was a a lot of fun. And I feel like there's a little bit of this bandwagoning thing going on with the critics. Uh, again, I, I could be wrong, but I feel like the bandwagon thing to do, you get on the bandwagon and you rail against Wachowski films right now. And, and that's, that's kind of, kind of how I feel about it. I mean, it, you're, you're right, Fizz. There, it was not a knock out of the park the way Edge of Tomorrow was. I wouldn't rank it that high. I just had a lot of fun. Uh, you know, getting getting into my likes a little bit. I mean, it's a wonderful space opera. It's 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 a big, huge space opera opera with lots of fun. Uh, Joe, you uh, on Twitter, you kind of um, uh, compared it to you, you called it Return to Naboo, but I don't think that comparison is apt. Uh, the reason that Episode One is not good is not because it had all this you know crazy, strange world building stuff that we weren't familiar with from Star Wars. The reason episode one was not good is because it was a snoozer, and this film is not a snoozer. So um, th- those are those are my opening thoughts for this film. Okay. Something I noticed while I, when I watched it with my sister and her best friend was they seemed to be really enjoying it, while I was just like, uh, just I just had like sudden outbursts of laughter any time Malakunas or Sean Bean even said something stupid. Uh, there was the line of you know what's with the bees. Well, you know, they're genetically engineered to recognize the royalty. It's like, what? Really? Uh, and, and when there was so much uh, potential here throughout, that was really what I was uh, going for and to see in this film. I do like Mina Kunis. I mean, what can you say? Um, she has a good voice. I think that I, it's also nice that she is a potentially good leading lady that doesn't look like all the other leading ladies that uh you know have you know sandy blonde hair and pale skin and so there's that going for her and then we have sean bean right and he's one of my all-time favorite characters actors he always performs some interesting sort of person and it seemed like they gave him a lot of material here as well then we have just the a good premise that they're trying to introduce something original a new space opera you're incorporating a very unique planet in our solar system. And we're going to see that up close a lot in the movie. And so that lent itself to lots of potential. Mm-hmm. And then I like the idea that you're tying in this idea that there is uh, groups of the human race throughout the galaxy. I always liked that kind of sci-fi premise. Yeah. You didn't just have aliens around the galaxy that all look different and you know make it difficult to relate to, like you may face in the Star Trek universe. Mm-hmm. But you actually have the human race like predominant throughout, and that explains why some things work and some things don't in, in its own construct, right? So it it definitely had some things about it that I appreciated just as the groundworks for the film, and. Uh, 
it was refreshing that it wasn't a superhero film. It, I mean, like, you know, things like that going for it. Like, obviously, it was a big budget film. So we got a, an okay soundtrack out of it. Um, I don't want to sound hypercritical or anything here. There was a few things to like. <laughs> yeah, I, I thought that the B thing was actually pretty clever. It was un, it was not real to life. I mean, obviously, it's it's a little bit, you know, different from the real world, but I thought it was kind of clever. But that was just me. That was the one thing that I took away from what you were saying there is you thought the B thing was silly. And I thought it was, I thought I, it was okay. My problem, right, actually, going back to the B thing, I actually liked the scene a great deal. I liked how they built the house and they had the beehives like oozing right out of it. Mm-hmm. And that Sean Bean was responsible for them for some reason that wasn't exactly well explained. Yeah, but he, you know, he's raising bees. I'm sorry, dude. It was really lost in all the minutia of some really boring droning dialogue. Which this movie had, which I'll get to later. Yeah, I, I have that same complaint. We'll, we'll get. To but that. going back to the bees, I don't think so much was wrong about the bees in and of themselves. I just think I thought that the way that they explained the bees' job was kind of dumb. Fizz, mm. I know you're ju- dying to jump in here. Oh well, I was going to say I, I think I can see how someone would be split on. Th- I think the bees are a great example because. I have a certain level of expectation when it comes to what I expect in a Wachowski film. Um, And since the matrix, almost everything that they've done when they have metaphors or illusions or satires or anything, (laughs) it like, it's never subtle. It's always very on the nose. And usually it doesn't really work um, logically with some of their other examples, maybe even from the same movie, my, my rationale would be, or my greatest example would be every religion thinks the matrix is really about their religion. And <laughs> sure. Right. You know, cause like every time I go to do a real world theology, you know, people are like, have you ever done the matrix? Oh, the Christian imagery is so <laughs> out there. And I'm like, well, yeah. So was the Buddhist imagery? Yeah, they, 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 they pulled. Every, I, as, as as a fan of the Matrix, I will readily admit they pulled every religion that they possibly could yeah. into that film. All of it. So 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 I'm like, yeah, it's because people are like, oh, it's such a great Christian, and I'm like, no, it's not really. But like, but they don't hide the fact that they're bringing in these these ideas. And so in this film, instead of letting most of those ideas be subtle, they basically either flat out state them or make them very, very obvious like the bees. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, they're like, the bees do this. The bees aren't like humans because humans are screwed up. Bees are simple. So bees recognize this thing. This thing is this concept that we're pushing in this movie. And I'm like, okay, that's kind of what I expect. I mean, that's how I expect them to explain things. Yeah. Which once again, goes back to my opening volley of, I, I feel like they make movies for a specific reason. And this reason wasn't to be interstellar. You know, this wasn't like Neil deGrasse Tyson's not going to come out and tweet about bees and, you know, the inner workings <laughs> of the the storm on Jupiter because the science behind you know, Jupiter ascending is so close to accurate that we can't really tell if it's real or not. That's not what this movie is. So I'm fine with them explaining things in very simple ways or using illusions that aren't cleverly hidden because that's what I expect from them. But that's also what, you know, I think makes it accessible enough to be really entertaining as well. 
Yeah, well, the one thing you can't accuse the Wachowskis of being is uh, untheatrical or, or lacking in uh, a visual imagery that uh, is as a real treat. I think that this this film uh, in I think that my dislike for Cloud Atlas overshadowed it, but I think even Cloud Atlas um, really, really gave you a treat to look at. I haven't seen uh, mm-hmm. something like Speed Racer. Maybe you could speak to that, Fizz or, or Joe, if you've seen it. Uh, I'm, I'm assuming that it's just the Wachowski style. They just give you a lot to look at. Oh yeah, Speed Racer is probably one of the most visually brilliant movies that I've ever watched. Mm. Yeah, it's it's definitely one of those films that's on my list. In fact, I believe it's in my Netflix queue. Um, anyway, uh. Yeah, th- this film gave us so much in the in the way of scenery to chew on. Uh, visual feast is is a great word for it. I mean, it's it's technically proficient. Um, we've definitely moved on past the uh, uncanny valley CGI that was in the Matrix, um, and especially in Matrix Reloaded. Um, this film is theater, like it's theatrical. It's it's when I go to the theater, I love seeing this sort of thing. I mean, it was it was just beautiful wonderful world building i i really enjoyed that about this film and 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 that contributed a great deal to the the big space space opera lots of fun that i i was mentioning earlier Mm -hmm. when i when i was uh collecting my list of likes i realized that lots of my likes kind of actually fell into a category I, i labeled middle ground because they're things i liked but i probably wouldn't like them if it was any other movie Hmm. um because like i looked at well, there were some that, that were just flat out likes, like the like you mentioned, visual effects, the creativity, the costume. Uh, it was easy for me to get sucked into the world. Uh, I love the fact that the Wachowskis tend to put just enough substance in these films to to kind of glue the action scenes together. Yeah, and well, that's what I want. It's, but it's not like there's no message there. You know, it's not like there's nothing to, to chew on there from that perspective either. Like like these, you know, the abrasics industries, they're pretty evil. They're, they're killing, they're like they're harvesting people and, and killing them so that they can go on living for, you know, hundreds of thousands of years or millennia. I don't remember how long it was, but it was, it was crazy. So they do put, you know, things to chew on from, from a philosophical perspective in their films. You know, obviously they're probably still, again, we're going back to the matrix. It's, it's hard to top the matrix in turn in, in those terms. Like there was so much of that in the matrix, but, but it's not, it's not, lacking presence here in this film it's represented you know mm-hmm. to your point well i mean yeah i'm gonna say and so you take things like that which i would consider a, a positive of a film that i want to be entertained by mm-hmm. like like i said more like a an a, an older school sci-fi movie where it's just about space lasers fighting <laughs> you know thing you know just entertainment so uh, that's why it was hard. And like I said, there was a middle ground category because there were certain things that I really liked, but I felt like if it was again in any other movie, I wouldn't have like uh, the performances of people like Sean Bean and Eddie Redmayne. I, I think in any other movie, I would have probably been disappointed because their characters were so odd or almost misused. But in this movie, I was like, that worked to do exactly what they needed it to. I mean, lots of people talked about how Eddie Redmayne was like wasted in this movie, and I was like, oh, I thought really? it was brilliant. No, he was brilliant. Yeah, I was saying, yeah, that's when one of the one of the uh, for the criticisms before I went uh, was they kept talking about Eddie Redmayne's performance being like such a good actor, and they just kind of didn't do anything with him. And I was like, his role was ridiculous, and that made it totally made it work. Like if he would have 
brought some of what he brought to the theory of everything into this movie, I'd have been like, nope, trying too hard. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It just doesn't work. But it's over the top. Like I said, it's it's that it, it's the Wachowskis understanding what they're trying to make and making it. And it appeals, obviously, not to critics, um, because I think, like I said, critics have their nose in the air and they're expecting they're expecting super intellectual, super pointful. They just don't like movies that are Fun. entertaining. They're curmudgeons like Joe. <laughs> yes. Joe, hey, I'm not a critic. No, <laughs> Joe, do you care uh, to defend yourself, sir? Well, uh, I I'm not a critic. That. Yeah, I want to say I want to say it's it's not just critics. Like, there's some people that I mean, th- this this genre of movie is not appealing to. Um, just like I'm not going to go watch a Nicholas yeah. Sparks movie, but there's people that Nicholas Sparks movies are made for, and that doesn't make you know people like Joe. If Joe doesn't like this movie, a bad person, it just means you know Joe likes a particular type of sci-fi, and this might yeah, not yeah. be it. And and I think that's that's the disconnect. So you see Rotten Tomatoes scores of what it's like 22 percent now for this movie. I think again, like 22 percent of the people who saw this movie probably think this was a hundred percent movie, whereas you know the other 80 percent just <laughs> it wasn't for them. Right. Um, unlike some other movies that are just terrible. Yeah. And to add to your point, though, 50% of the audience loved it. 50% of the audience didn't. You know, you got a 74,000 user ratings on Rotten Tomatoes. And mm-hmm. just because 50% of it, uh, them liked it or didn't like it doesn't mean that the other 50% doesn't matter. By the way, it does because totally do. make Joe a bad person. I'm just saying. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll, I'll try to persuade you otherwise before the end of the podcast. <laughs> okay. CJ. Okay. Well, well, please start down that road. You got a, you got a um, long road to, to drive there. <laughs> hmm, okay, so uh, going to the soundtrack just a second. What exactly stands out to you about the soundtrack? I've listened to it a couple of times, and it's a very, very well composed, but it's not easy listening. And when I was watching it in the film, no particular uh, theme popped out at me and grabbed me and said, "Oh wow, I was really getting into this scene because whoa, this music is just doing something for me." I, I really do like Michael Giacchino. Or, but when you mentioned it earlier, are you saying that you really give uh, like two thumbs up to the soundtrack, or do you just like it because it's better than most? I, I give one and a half thumbs up to it. Like I still like um, uh, the, the Alan Turing film, uh, The Imitation Game. I still like the soundtrack for that better. Uh, but this was a really great soundtrack, and I haven't put my finger on it yet. I've listened to it twice today, and I'm, I'm listen- we're listening to it again right now. And I, I haven't quite put my finger on it, and I haven't learned the track names. Forgive me. I'm going to try a different track to try to find exactly what it is that's standing out to me. Um, one of my favorite soundtracks in recent history is the one for Cloud Atlas. I listen to it almost every day. And it's so thematic. It has a theme that is explored so many different ways. Before you're done with that soundtrack, you've heard it uh, played out uh, as like an, an emotional roller coaster that's pleasant to revisit. And so, whenever I think of uh, great soundtrack, I, I think of Cloud Atlas. So frankly, you know, and I like to share it with friends because I just think it's that good. I don't hesitate because it's really exceptional. But if I were just talking as a soundtrack enthusiast and I was trying to recommend some good stuff for people to check out, I don't think I would turn to this film unless I knew that they were already uh, soundtrack geeks like we are and say, "Oh yeah, you got to check this one out because it's Michael Giacchino." Mm, I really like it. I don't know. I haven't, like I said, I can't quite put my finger on it. Like. I've listened to the Imitation Game soundtrack so much, I can go exactly to the, to the main theme there, and I just I know exactly what I like about that. This one, I'm still trying to figure that out, but I would recommend it. It's, it's a really good space okay. opera soundtrack. I, I think maybe the problem here, Joe, but the difference between us is that I really, really love sci-fi. Uh, you know, sci-fi films. I, I don't read as much sci-fi as I used to, but 
and and I've never really read hard sci-fi, but I love a good sci-fi flick, and and I think maybe that's playing into my love for the soundtrack as well because it feels like a good sci-fi fantasy soundtrack. Okay. Going back to some of the things that you liked, Mike, and, uh, well, TJ, you too mentioned costumes and set dressing and the, the visual effects and the realism and the expanse, the scope of it all, you know, you get all these, uh, huge, uh, scenes, expansive scenes where you get to see like a, a, a massive space station that's uh, hovering, I guess, uh, inside of the gas atmosphere of Jupiter and uh, very other interesting, striking, appealing locations. You see a, a wedding ceremony inside of one of these vessels and it's just uh, bonkers how much detail there is going into this scene that's really just, uh, it's a it's a important turning point. It, 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 but it's not the only one. It's just one of many throughout the film. And all things considered, they could have done so much more with that scene than they actually got around to because they just had to keep moving. Mm-hmm. But uh, as far as like the visual appeal, the craftsmanship into the costumes, the the believability of some like visual special effects, like, ooh, that gun just seemed a little bit more real than some in other sci-fi films I've seen. You know, you're sold on the sound effect. I, that was one thing I did like. I noticed that the sound of their laser blasters sounded like real laser blasters to me. Like, I was convinced, <laughs> oh, yeah, that's a Han Solo blaster right there. Whatever, that, that, whatever that would those sound kick like. Some, yeah, that would actually kick some tail. It's, that's good stuff there. And I, when I heard that kind of thing, I, I was like, yeah, yeah, I'm digging this kind of stuff. But the thing for me, guys, is that when you see a beautiful spaceship, to me, it's just a spaceship. I really need to have something else make it more compelling based on the story, the characters, and their their problems that they're trying to overcome. So no matter how beautiful the planet Jupiter is, no matter how many pillars and columns you put into an expansive hallway behind the actors while they talk about who knows what, like getting their beauty treatments to live, you know, 10,000 years and look like they're 30 years old. I don't, I don't care. It, 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 it sometimes seems like no uh, amount of grandeur, pomp and circumstance is going to Make it a wonderful film for me in a, a, a hugely uh, just uh, enrapturing story for me where it's really at for me is like, yeah, I want those things. I, I, I want a cool space battle. I want to have the unique uh, uh, cityscape scene where you see the sunset behind them and they're kissing on top of the building and, you know, he, he spreads his wings and it's like, oh, you know, yeah, I want that. But that's not going to make the movie for me that that's just stuff that gives it two and a half stars. Now let's go the rest of the way and make a very captivating story. And I don't think that that story has to be either uh, f- uh, especially focused on being brilliant or especially focused on being entertaining. So long as it strikes the right balance to be captivating. And kind of like you said, Mike, it, you know, you were entertained for the entire film. And that's cool. Um, I guess it suits a lot of your preferences. You know, you and TJ are far more interested in the sci-fi genre in general. I'm not so much as much. Um, I, I, I'm more entertained by just a, a novel story that feels like it has real heart and soul. And that when it's all said and done, it, it felt re- relatable. And the story doesn't do that for me. 
Well, here, here's the thing. I, I, I tend to agree with your analysis. I don't completely agree with your conclusion, but you're, you're right. The visual candy is is nothing without a good story to go with it. And if you have a good story, then it's icing on the cake. And and that's what I felt in this film, though. Like, the sure, the story wasn't uh, deep and intricate. It was a very simple story. You know, poor girl discovers she's royalty and uh, she has to uh, overcome evil. And that's they they live sort of happily ever after, and and so it's a simple story, but simple doesn't mean bad. I um I'll tell you this film actually in the first uh, ten minutes or however long it took for the before they uh, spoiler alert before they killed Paul Bettany, um I I mean it it already had me hooked like I was I was into that story I was I was uh, emotionally involved with the characters apparently because I felt like somebody was chopping some onions there when when he uh, got shot. Um, and from that point on, I mean, it already engaged me into the movie and into the story. And there was one other point, I'm trying to remember exactly when it was, when I was really, uh, emotionally involved with, uh, with Mila Kunis, uh, character, um, uh, what was her name again? Jupiter, (laughs) my poor brain. Um, and it, it, I don't know. I was engaged by the story. It was a simple story, no doubt. Uh, but simple does not mean bad. So uh, that that's I guess where the difference is where we we're saying the same thing, Joe, in terms of yeah, you can't have just visual eye candy and no good story. I'm just saying the story was fine for me. I I enjoyed it. I was engaged in it. It was, and this is where um one one of the things that I I wrote down is that um it's a it's in a in one sense it's a classic sci-fi fantasy story, very simple, and yet at the same time it feels like they were able to break some rules. I, I can't quite put my finger on it, but I mean, for instance, like they didn't always explain how stuff worked. They just, it just was like, they didn't spend a lot of time telling you like, like with the matrix, the, the difference is, you know, going back to one of their older films is they would a lot, they spent a lot of time explaining what the matrix was and how it worked. And, and this film didn't, didn't feel like it went there at all. We didn't have to spend time for the most part, there was some times, but we didn't spend a lot of time explaining how their ships worked or explaining what made them be able to put this thing under the Jupiter, uh, on, on Jupiter and the gravity didn't crush everybody. Like it just was, it was just part of the sci-fi world. And, and so uh, and I agree that they didn't do a lot to explain the science behind their technology and what's got them to the, where they are. Cause it was more but of a fantasy, felt, but at the same time, uh, I I don't know about you guys, but what I saw going in and out of scene to scene to scene was mostly uh, a moment of action where the guy has got to rescue the girl from doing something dumb again. And then let's go back to a scene of where we have lots and lots of more explaining to do. So we have a bad guy, some creep trying to lie to you, but also you know pull you know d- accomplish something for himself. So sometimes he's telling the truth laced with a bunch of lies and their world building in the process by just saying, you know, Oh yeah, we've been doing this for tens of thousands of years. And, you know, we've been killing all these people over and over and over again. Like they, they have so much to rationalize in terms of their philosophy, in terms of where they're coming from and why, what they're doing is culturally relevant, important and why it should be justified because of class warfares and like, you know, it all goes back to the evil empire, the evil corporations, uh, those evil capitalists, mm-hmm. you know, the, the, the dirty, rotten scum for just wanting all their pleasures and being the one, the, the, the top 1% of the universe, <laughs> you know, like it seemed like they just kept on going back to a lot of um, like timeouts in the movie 
to explain a bunch of minutia to you. And then when it seemed like, okay, the audience has probably had enough of that for now. Let's rush back into some sort of action sequence. Okay. The guy has to save the girl again. He saves the girl. Now let's go back to more explaining. I don't completely disagree. It went in and out of that for the entire film. I don't completely disagree with that. I haven't gotten to my dislikes yet, but that is okay. one of the things. Okay. Like there, but that's different from what I was talking about with um, with needing to feel feel like they needed to explain the world. What I felt was that there was at times too much exposition in the dialogue, too much show, you know, too much tell and not enough show. Um, that 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 was what I felt more than what I was referring to when I talked about. Uh, they didn't feel the need to explain the universe to us. Was they didn't feel like it didn't feel like we were getting this heavy this is how warp drive works and we go this fast and we go warp seven and we go this fast and we go <laughs> yeah warp it's eight. true but none of that thankfully they steered away from that yeah that's a good point yeah um so yeah i i really am trying to get through my likes because there are a lot of them but i i, I want to you know get on the same page with you on the dislikes um i no, uh, no, no, no. Uh, please go for it because okay. i i, I you know, the, the the critics summed up my opinion largely. Pleasing to the eye, but narratively befuddled. Jupiter okay. Ascending delivers a visually thrilling misfire. So, I yeah. mean, like, that's me. That's, they wrote you're, that for you're me. One of the, you're one of the killjoys. <laughs> Only this time. Only this time, TJ. Okay. Well, Fizz already mentioned Eddie Redmayne, um, and so I just want to echo and say, yes, amazing uh, performance from Eddie Redmayne. I, I felt like he was perfectly in tune, whether whether it's because... He's over the top, and his character was over the top, and it worked in the context of the film, or whether he really just had a good grasp on how to do that, uh, I don't know. I mean, I haven't seen him in really anything else, and, and it, it sounds like he wasn't great in the theory of everything. Uh, but I, I really I really liked him in this film. That, that whole understated performance where he would occasionally punctuate it with some pretty loud screaming and yelling, I mean, it, it just really made him seem menacing – in an otherwise, a role that he really didn't spend a lot of time on screen, but he made his presence, you know, he stamped that presence into us. So I really, really enjoyed his performance. I really enjoyed how low-key and uh, just sort of nonchalant uh, Mila Kunis played that role of Jupiter as she's, you know, realizing she's uh, royalty, she's entitled, and she, um, if she can claim it, she basically owns the Earth. I mean, uh, it was a, a pretty uh, interesting choice i think whether it was the script or, or mila you know just played it really kind of straight like okay so this is this is the, how this is now um it, i thought it worked pretty well uh i really loved uh I, I i sort of um giggled and gloated and and had a lot of fun with the bureaucratic nonsense going on in that world uh that was just uh just so much like like you know because you tend to when you're world building you tend to gloss over stuff like that and you know that the bureaucrats exist in every every world that you ever build. So I had a lot of fun with that. Um, the I'm, I'm sorry, I'm just trying to get through my list here. The action sequences, um, they don't feel like The Matrix, which is kind of what a lot of people have said. But I think that that's a good thing. Because it's it would be very easy for the Wachowskis to just go back and say, okay, we're going to do the bullet time thing again. We're going to do this Matrix thing again. That was what worked for us back in the day. And these action sequences felt less important than that, uh, whereas in The Matrix, they always felt important. And, and that, that was good for The Matrix, but I think that you, you know they could run the risk of repeating themselves. And these action sequences, while I'll get to my dislike that some of them went on for far too long for what they were, uh, in general, I felt like they didn't feel like they were trumped up in, in a sense of importance. 
Uh, so that that was a a good thing in my opinion. Um, and then uh, just just two more two more points here. Clark pointed out in his review that I linked to earlier today that uh, there there's a lot of stuff that and this is kind of building on what I said a minute ago. There's a lot of stuff that just is without a lot of explanation, and that proved for him to be one of the strange pleasures of the film. And I very much agree with that assessment. Much of that world just was the way it was, uh, and we'll we'll get to my dislikes in that area in a minute. Um, and I really, guys, I really loved the conclusion of this film. It wasn't the, they didn't ride off into the sunset fairy tale style, you know, the princess and the not prince dude. Uh, but, you know, they had a satisfying conclusion that was, again, kind of low key. She decided that she wasn't going to go, you know, live off world and live with uh, a bunch of royalty. She was going to continue being who she was. And I really found that to be a satisfying conclusion to the film. There, that's my list. <laughs> Fizz, you've been quiet for a while. What have you got for us? Are we uh, moving to dislikes or where are we at? We we may do that, yes. Well, okay, so I've listened to a whole bunch of what you guys have been saying, and I noticed that you guys keep hitting on a lot of the things that are uh, scattered among both my lists. Mm-hmm. And I think one of the one of the things that critics complained about that I was on the lo- on the lookout for when I went to the movie was Mila Kunis basically being relegated to, you know, the, the audience's role, like the, what is this? Where am I? Who are you kind of role? And I think that for the most part, even though we didn't get a lot of technical explanation, the world that the Wachowskis tried to build was so large. We couldn't help but have a character who went around and said, who are you? Where am I? What do you do? Mm-hmm. Why are you like this? And she does kind of get put into that role, but that's why I have like a middle ground category because I I want to dislike the fact that we're basically having exposition because she's having to go into a new place or a new scene and having to ask those questions again and again and again and again. But when you're building a world that expansive, I want someone to do it. Right. You know, I want someone to ask that question. And I think for what, like I said, what she was relegated to, I thought she did a a pretty good job of pulling that off without making it too obvious that that's mainly what her character was doing most of the time. Uh, Other than that, the only real annoyance I had with her character was the fact that I, I felt like they could have more creatively given her a piece of dialogue that said, do I look like someone who's important? Cause her, her kind of repeating that over and over did, did great on me a little bit. Um, but at the same time, I was surprised that her obviously not knowing what was going on the whole time didn't grate on me. And I was pleasantly surprised that I was with her most of the time. The, the, the only other problem that stems from that entire situation is the fact that to me, uh, middle ground again, I dislike the fact that to me, the Wachowskis overreached with this movie to try to build a world that was too big for one movie. Mm-hmm. But at yeah. the same time, I'm like, this was a cool world and I'm, I was, I was glad to have visited it. Um, it just unfortunately gave us some things that, you know, I wish I could have, uh, seen more from some characters, you know, like, uh, uh, Kalik Abraxas uh, is there, and when she's not there, she's never there again. 
Like, what does she do? I mean, same thing with Titus. We have like we have an interaction with uh, Kalik, and then she's gone. We have an interaction with Titus, and then he's gone. Yeah. And uh, the same thing to a certain degree. Like, we never really understand what's going on with um, Stinger, like Sean Bean's character. Mm-hmm. Most of the time, like he kind of pops in and pops out. Uh, so I feel like there's lots of opportunities in this film that if this was uh, like a, t- a two movies, maybe. Or maybe they didn't try to include so many kind of mini adventures in the film that we could have focused on one and gotten a lot more out of some of these characters that were, like I said, again, very creative, very interesting, at least on the surface, uh, but we never really explore them. So, like I said, again, it's a middle ground question. Like the characters, wish I would have had more time with them. Um so other than that, if I if I had to really give some solid dislikes, uh, I I think the ending actually did didn't do it for me. Hmm. Now conceptually, it did because I like the fact that it went back to the roots of like I'm I'm not uh, what do they call them highborn yeah or royalty. privilege royalty Privileged. you know um, so she kept being I'm not like this I'm not like this and so she still chose to go back to a life, but I'm like, but it's a little too much to have her. I mean, I even like the concept of her being like, I'm going to go find joy in a simpler life. But I felt like there should have kind of been some kind of sense, or I don't say sensical, sensical way that, I mean, cause how was she going to explain a dude with pointy ears and like always going off whenever she wants to, like he has no home. He has no, you know, income, like, are they just going to be, are they settling in, starting a family on Earth? Next or, movie, dude. Next movie. Yeah. So bring, I, I, bring, this, bring this back around to full circle. It would be much the way Arrow, the Arrow, uh, Oliver Queen, explains how he's always gone whenever the Arrow is out fighting. Like, <laughs> sorry, we were talking about that earlier. So, <laughs> uh, he, uh, oh gosh, there's so much wrong with the Arrow. Yeah. I don't want to. Anyway, anyway, yeah. It, it, next movie, dude. Um, do, 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 do. yeah, that's the thing though. I don't think though, I don't think we're getting one. And no, I don't even think, no. I don't, I, not only do I think we wouldn't get one, I don't think the way that they kind of set this movie up that they ever planned to give us one. I felt like they wanted to tell this and then be done with it. I, I mean, of course, unless, mo- and unless, you know, someone throws money at them, then I think that they set it up in such a way, knowing that they probably wouldn't make another one, but that they could easily make another one. Uh, I, I want to get back to what you said, and, and we've danced around this. I've mentioned it. Joe's mentioned it. Um, but I have to agree with you that the the when you talked earlier about the exposition of the dialogue, like that was that was one of the major complaints of this film. And I know, like you said, they're doing it to the point uh, f- for the audience. Uh, you know, where where um, Jupiter is asking these questions because she's us. Uh, but it, it felt very heavy handed. It felt um, like that that they could have done it in a way that was more satisfying and that worked better. Uh, sometimes you do have to uh, exposition things, but save it for when you really need to. And there was a lot of times when they just didn't need to, and they did anyway. And 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 that's so weird, too, because, like, we're coming from, um, you know, uh, uh, Cloud Atlas, where I felt like a lot of things just weren't explained at all, and they relied on, you know, to the detriment of the film, actually, they relied on the on visual storytelling to try to tell us these things. And and now here, the, here maybe that's like a knee-jerk reaction. Well, people didn't like that movie. Let's just try to explain everything to them. And, you know, not 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 some things, but certain things in, in an exposition-heavy way, in a heavy-handed way. 
and and that's the balance that's that's one of the balances that i feel like they have uh, have had a hard time getting right since the first matrix they had a hard time getting it right in matrix reloaded they had a hard time getting it right in matrix revolutions where in the matrix you feel like these things are perfectly imbalanced there's a lot of exposition in the dialogue but there's a lot of visual storytelling too and some of that's just missing here so i would have to agree just this building on that point that you made joe i'm sure you have more to lay on us why don't you do that Okay, not much. Um, part of the problem for me was just sort of a disconnection. I think that the uh, the actors were experienced while they were going from scene to scene to scene. That uh, the film relies heavily on special effects, visual effects. I mean, you know, where they add in some bees in post production. They mm-hmm. they change the sky to make it pretty and make it change the time of day. They set themselves in an environment on Jupiter. So. The actors don't really know what that looks like. You know, you tell them you're standing on a a, a precipice. You know, there's about 80 stories beneath you and the surface of Jupiter, but you can't see it anyway because it's covered in dust. And then you look out over the expanses. You can see for miles and miles in all directions. And basically, you're in the heart of several hurricanes, but you're protected by this force field that we're not going to go into explaining. And it's like, you know... I didn't get the impression that at some times the character of Jupiter was really living in the moment. I mean, like, you know, I don't know how they exactly pulled it off, but for some reason it seemed like you got Han Solo, Obi-Wan Kenobi, Princess Leia, Luke Skywalker, all living in the moment in a very uh, unusual space opera where they are showing off things like X-Wing fighters and they're flying over the, the Death Star and they're saying, look at the size of that thing. And and so they seem really vested in the idea that they are even impressed by some of the things that they are experiencing. And it doesn't seem like anything really grabs Jupiter. So, so, and I saw this kind of problem running throughout the performances of some of the other characters. Sean Bean was able to play his part well enough that he seemed like he was a, a, um, a sort of depressed guy that was probably taking some drugs to help him sleep at night. And then that would give him a hangover the following day. So he couldn't think exactly very clearly. And all he can remember is you know, always fighting for his life. So it seemed like he was just another day in his grueling life. And so he was going to pick up a blaster and go fight somebody because that was just what he was paid to do. So he was about the only kind of guy that was really convincing throughout the film for me, besides, say, the two brothers and the sister who just um, played the part of, uh, you know, highly privileged people who ha- live in a lap of luxury and they can do anything they want and they can get away with it. So they just act like spoiled brats and they stand up tall and straight like vampires and everybody's happy. <laughs> uh, but besides them going back to characters like wise and Jupiter it didn't seem like they were really conveying a lot of human emotion. So it seemed like Wise is doing a bunch of very fantastic things with his with his um, hover boots, but um, besides sort of a casual smirk, he doesn't know how to express himself. He doesn't know how to express himself in relation to Jupiter, who he supposedly got feelings for developing over the course of the film. And then there was that huge, the the worst, the the oh come on moment. When Jupiter, Wait, which podcast but, are you on? Yeah, <laughs> it, uh, the, uh, I, I'm just going to rip this right out of the other <laughs> podcast and put it in here. <laughs> Go ahead. <laughs> uh, we have the come on moment when Jupiter is basically throwing herself at Wise, and right, no, and right. everything she says, well, she just likes comes dogs. Across. She likes dogs. Everything she said. <laughs> 
just came across as like they had written the scene a second before they they said roll them and and so she just had to like make it up as she went along and then wise didn't know how to respond uh, i actually liked that scene i thought it oh, was i'm not funny. saying it Everyone wasn't entertaining theater. it was entertaining but it was a moment where you're laughing at the film. No, no, I was laughing with at the them. characters because remember, and then he walks out and the door closes. He's like, a dog? Really? Really, Jupiter? I I, I thought it was fun. What were you going to say, Fizz? No, I was going to say everyone in our theater was laughing and they were not laughing like with eyes rolled. They were, they were like, ha, ha, ha. That's the first time I've heard something that clever. And I was like, didn't y'all not see a trailer for this movie? <laughs> yeah. Um, it was still funny. I'd seen the trailer, but it was still funny. Uh, I, I was like, oh, it worked. Um, I, I mean, like I said, so the, the, the concept of, of them being so interested in each other so quickly didn't quite make it no, for me. No, no. But again, there are so many things that um, I almost consider it a genre, like a subgenre of sci-fi. It's like when you do certain, like when Snowpiercer was like a, it was sci-fi, but it was dystopian sci-fi. Mm-hmm. So there were certain things I expected from Snowpiercer. Um, you know, I didn't expect it to be funny. You know, if it would have been funny, I'd have been like, whoa, what, what are you trying to do here? Um, so this one is like a subgenre of sci-fi too. And it's just like entertainment sci-fi and entertainment sci-fi. I don't need things to make a lot of sense. I just th- need things to be entertaining. Um, I need there to be some concepts on which the story is told, which we have. I need, uh, some characters that I can generally get behind, which there are. And, you know, some fun things to watch. And I I feel like everything they did, they made those decisions based on, is this the most entertaining decision we could make right now? And I think they try to always choose the most entertaining one, which because to me, ordinarily, the one of the scenes that you talked about, TJ, with the the, the bureaucracy (laughs) kind of whole thing, (laughs) Mm -hmm. like I was amused. But in most films, I'd have been like, this is totally way different um, because this is taking a microscope on a world when they keep, you know, like bringing the microscope back, uh, cause everything keeps getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And for one little section of the film, they, they drill down and look at this one thing. And I'm like, that doesn't really fit, but it's funny. It's, you know, it makes a good segue from how this thing gets to here. It works, you know? So like I said, almost everything in this film that I'm okay with, I feel like there's, there's a reason that I shouldn't be okay with it. So, mm-hmm. I feel like I'm always arguing against myself, and that's how I felt when I left the theater. <laughs> so it feels it feels like I like this movie the best out of out of us three. But um, I did want to go back to where you said that the uh, the love thing with uh, uh, Channing Tatum, what was his name, Wise, and uh, and Jupiter felt rushed. And I that was actually one of the things I wrote down. Like, what in the world? I I never felt that. I mean, I felt like they could have started a connection like and in the, in, in the next film they they would say oh now they're really starting to love each other or what or fall in love or whatever but it never really worked in this film like there was the spark of something and it would have been fine if that was all it was but you get the impression that what they wanted from us was to say oh this these two are made for each other and jupiter's like i'm always falling for the wrong guy and and i'm falling for you let me throw myself at you and in in, in that sense no that it really doesn't work part of the reason it doesn't work i think it plays into uh, something else that I disliked. It feels like uh, Channing Tatum, he doesn't have as much to do or as much development as a character as I would like. Um, his backstory was interesting, and I wanted more of that backstory. Like, I wanted to to know more about that. I wanted to know more about him as a character. Like, we were, th- this is where the movie, I feel like, got a little too simplistic. We were told what happened. 
uh, again, that, that exposition as storytelling, uh, we were told that he bit somebody because of his, you know, wolf DNA or whatever it is, and uh, he was discharged and put in prison, and that was the end of that. Like, but I feel like his character was far more interesting than what they gave him to do, and it, it just feels a little bit like a miss there. I, w- I wish we would have seen more of that. Mm-hmm. Um, the other thing that didn't work well for me is the entire whole marriage thing with uh, uh, Titus Ab- Ab- Abrasics. Like, none of that, nothing about that worked. Um, I I didn't, you know, Jupiter, yes, yeah, she's a little bit stupid, and she's trying to get acclimated to this world, but she's not that stupid. And this guy, you could see it coming from 20 miles away, or 20 light years, or whatever it is there in space. It, it, like, what in the, like, he was so transparent, and the whole wedding itself, and he, oh, just think of it as a contract. It's just a contract. Just, it's just a contract while we bind this ring around your finger in a permanent way, like, what in the no? None of that worked at all. It didn't make any sense, and it was the stupidest part of the movie. Even though it gave us one of the most visually interesting parts of the movie, which is the wedding itself, I think that the whole thing should have been cut. Like none of that worked. Uh so th- there you go. If you want something I strongly disliked about this movie, that was it, Joe. <laughs> Joe, Thanks, wins. Joe wins. Joe wins. Yeah. Um, Did you like the credits? The credit. Yeah, the credits were fun. I was okay with the credits. Yeah. <laughs> Um, uh, Clark noted, and you noted as well, Joe, so I'm going to address it, that this film, uh, at least uh, ostensibly, is supposed to be a critique of capitalism to some extent, and the top 1%, you know, and they're living at the expense of others. But I'm a capitalist, and I'm a libertarian, and I don't call murder as an industry capitalism or libertarianism. I, uh, I, I just don't, I don't see how this is actually a critique of real capitalism. So I, I just wanted to make that note. That no, that's, it's not. Yeah. I just wanted to make that note. I, I don't know. Right. But it, it definitely has like, you know, what people think of, you know, those blood sucking vampires up in the <laughs> state of Washington, you know, or whatever it is, you know, Washington, DC, well, I think, I think their ivory can, towers in the downtown cities, you know, I think we can all agree if that's what capitalism is, if capitalism is killing people so that you can live for millennia, then that's wrong because that's infringing on someone else's rights. Right. But wasn't that supposed to be a not so subtle metaphor? Oh no, it certainly it certainly was not a subtle metaphor. I just wanted to note that it failed in far, as far as I'm concerned. Oh, okay, fair enough. Okay. So and what did you think of the demonic like laser uh sorry, lizard uh henchman? Like wasn't that funny how like you know they pick up the you know, what is his name Wise and they're flying over Jupiter and they're he's dangling from them and you just see their silhouettes and they look like demons with wing, you know, bat wings and yeah, stuff. Yeah, we were definitely funny, firmly pretty awesome, ironic and strange. We were firmly in fantasy territory there. Like this was not sci-fi. This yeah. was straying way over into the fantasy side of things, which it was fine. Well, like all the lizard guys were just like taken from the exact same CGI mold. And then all of them had the same voices, but then you got the impression that there were supposed to be different ones. I, so I didn't get the they impression kind of, they were the same. There was definitely I, differences. I, I kind of got lost in the speciesism. Mm. Like wow. I just couldn't tell the differences between their henchmen. They were all green lizards. And if they died, then like, who cares? Oh, okay. He's got like the glass floor right through his neck. Am I supposed to feel something right now? He's a CGI lizard. Um, well, I don't think you were. Joe, ever I never to knew feel that you anything. were so lizard racist. <laughs> I don't think you were ever supposed to feel anything for them, Joe. I, 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 they, they just sort of were, which is fine. I know, Fizz, you were, you were that, really jumping up and down to say something there a minute ago. No, I'm just saying. I just never knew Joe was so lizard racist. <laughs> I mean, I guess all lizards just look the same to you. You know, they all sound the same. They all look the same. They all dress the same. 
I bet if a lizard family moved in next door, you'd probably have something to say about that, wouldn't you? <laughs> That's with their right. Big, really, with their I'm big wings human. and their same yes. sound and voices. God, That's right. Joe, I'm really disappointed. I, I'm really right just now. a human supremacist. That's all. I, I, I don't have any room for <laughs> any other sentient beings. Uh, speaking of other sentient beings that were not so sentient, what was with the stupid little alien man? Like they could just take on any kind of form factor with a sort of mega mind gadget, you know, that would change their look and, and appearance. Fantasy, and voice Joe, and, not sci fi, fantasy. Uh, but like back it, at the beginning, you know, they're in the, in the, this, the surgical room and, hmm? Explanation not needed. Yeah, okay. no, I didn't think we needed an explanation for that. I, I I just didn't like their looks. I'm sorry. Like, I mean, like as far as aliens go, these little silly looking alien men that look like you know stereotypical <laughs> little green men. Well, they explain that Roswell aliens. That's where we get. There's always some people that slip through the cracks, and that's where the stories come from. But nobody believes them. Uh-huh. You know, it was very Stargatey in that way. That Stargate does that sort of thing. That 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 reminds me. I think I realize what this movie kind of reminds me of. Um, and it's men in black. <laughs> yep. In yep. some ways, you're absolutely right. You know, and people don't have a problem with men in black. No, I know. I love men in black. And men in, and I think the only real difference is men in black didn't try to overreach with its with its story. Well, yeah, men in black was much more squarely but, fantasy, you know, and and silly. Yeah, but and yeah. tongue in cheek, yeah, tongue in cheek, very yeah. very self aware. But they way. didn't, you know, they didn't try to explain anything. They were just like, yeah, this happens. This is what we do. Let's go do things. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. So, uh, I thought that the uh, film spent uh, occasionally uh, too much time on lackluster action, and I wish that they would have pared those action sequences down to let the film not run quite as long. Because th- I felt like the film was slightly overlong, and I think it was directly because those action sequences would have been fine if most of them were cut in half. But they they went on too long, and they weren't of the caliber. As I mentioned, that was a plus. But but if they're not going to be of the caliber of a Matrix action scene or a or think pick your action movie uh, Marvel action scene, uh, then why do we spend so much time with them? Uh, case in point, when we're first having the uh, action scene uh, in, on Earth with uh, where, right after uh, Jupiter finds out starts finding out a lot of things that are going on, like that action scene goes on for like fifteen minutes. It should have been about five five minutes would have been fine. Uh, so that was a frustrating thing about this film is that it's overlong because of sluggish action or or not sluggish action, but lackluster action. Um, and then I thought the the through plot or the main storyline got a little bit muddled. So, I, I again, I'll have to agree with the critics a little bit here uh, where it was a little bit confused with the three different uh, uh, Abrasics kids uh, or whatever they are, the, the uh, siblings. Um, I still don't know what Kalik's end game was. Like she just sort of was, and like you said, Fizz, she was, and then she wasn't. She was just gone, uh, and we don't know what was motivating her to do the things she was doing. We don't know what her end game was. It feels like some part of the script got chopped off and thrown away. Uh, and and to to an extent, although we can, know, can I make a comment about the bra- the abrasions? Yeah, let me just let me just finish up. The, the, to okay. an extent, that Titus was the same way. Although we got more of his through point through plot. It was still felt like he just sort of fell off the face of the map after his part in the story was done. Go ahead, Joe. Well, I know that the film is not trying to uh, explain the Abrasics very, very much in relation to what I'm about to say, but this is just one of the problems I had with them as characters, as villains, and it was that the film kind of puts them up on a pedestal in a manner of speaking. Like they're supposed to be important. There's a, they are so important because they have all this power. But at the same time, 
it the way that they're staged or the way they're introduced you get this quasi impression that well if you are at the top of the food chain if you are on top of all the created order and you created all these things well why shouldn't you basically get what you want wait you got like, that impression I'm not saying that the film suggested this, but it, the thought did occur to me that mm. if you just have like us in the universe and somebody like farms out and creates a human race on a planet and they have all this power at the very top of the only order of like authority for all the known galaxy, then can't they do what they want to do with everything in their galaxy? You're arguing they're basically gods and they should be able to do whatever they want to us. uh, What I'm arguing is that they're basically the evil empire with Darth Sidious at the top. And there is no rebel alliance to fight them off. Like not that we know of if, if basically everybody goes along with them anyway, and there is no counter force except for Jupiter Jones, who doesn't intend to get very political anyway, then why shouldn't they have what they want? Apparently, they're not so bad that we need to do anything about it. Now, they're obviously doing things just as atrocious as anything Emperor Palpatine did. But it's just kind of like the film doesn't really care to make the point that we should do something about people like this. It's just that the only time it concerns... Liquidating people on entire planets and harvesting them so that you can live longer would be pretty evil. Yeah, I'd go with that. I agree. But (laughs) my point is going back to Jupiter. Like, she has all this um, emotional conflict when she has a toss-up. Either I can save all of the human race on Earth, or I can save my family if I, like, swear all of my privileges and all my rights away to the Abrasics. And there's sort of this awkward feeling I got where... I I thought to myself, okay, take Princess Leia on a bad day when she hasn't gotten much sleep and she drank too much, so she's not thinking very clearly. And you tell her, uh, all the people on Alderaan for your family's life or vice versa. You know, like you can save your family's life or you can save all the people on Alderaan and make the decision now, Princess Leia, go. You know, you're drunk, but we don't care. Like, do you save your family or do you save the lives of everybody on Alderaan? I think it'd be a no brainer for Princess Leia. She wouldn't have to think about it for five minutes. She'd be like, um, well, I don't like it that I'm forced into this decision, but I'm going to say spare all the people of Alderaan. It's too bad that my family has to die. You're wicked. So somebody, okay. So Joe, somebody's holding a gun to your wife's head and says, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to derail this train. And everybody on it's going to die over, uh, you know, a thousand people, or I'm going to pull this trigger and your wife's going to be dead. You make that decision now, Joe. Yeah, I can do it right now. If I could do something about it, that's the, that's the thing I would try to do. Like if I could prevent the gunman. My my, my point is everybody's so heroic when they're, when they're evaluating situations on the outside, but you need to put yourself in those shoes. I'm no, if you, if you put, no, if you put me literally into a predicament where it's either going to be my wife's life or everybody else is on the train and I have nothing else that I can possibly do. I think that it's a no brainer. I'm sorry to my wife, but I would save everybody on the train. 
Now you we, just got this. You just took this down a very yeah, dark well, trail. But we all like to think that about ourselves. But I felt like the situation with her, and she was ultimately. You could see she was coming to the conclusion: I really need to save Earth, not my family. But she was. It's it was just hard that it took her, her too long to that to that conclusion. It took her too long. And she, I'm saying she went you're to, being a little she bit had time self-righteous to travel to Abrasix. This is she had into, time. This has really turned into uh, real world theology, where we're debating uh, something mm-hmm. this deep. <laughs> I have no well, opinion on this. It, <laughs> well, I know this film doesn't really deserve the analysis. Oh my gosh! <laughs> but, no. but, it, but it 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 hindered my appreciation for the idea that Jupiter was supposed to be the protagonist. Mm. By that stage I, in her development, mm. it, it was very poor that she didn't have more conviction about it sooner. I, I found it completely believable that she would have a hard time choosing whether she wanted to save the people that mattered the most to her or the rest of the world. I found yes, it believable. You, you can have that conflict for five minutes, but not for a, an extended period of time. Minutes. Yeah, for the showtime of the film, but it didn't happen in real time. She was given the proposal from Abrasics, and then she had, like, it's hard to tell, but time to space travel to him and talk to people about it before she gets herself into the situation where she's about to agree to do it. You know, I mean, she had more than an hour here, and then she was still going to go along with it. Like, that that was kind of like, really? You're going to forfeit billions of people's lives for your family? Th- that That was... A huge strain well, to me. Well, the next time that there's a moral crisis like this, and we now know that you have the moral fortitude to withstand this situation, we'll make sure that you're the one that's in the situation. Is that, how does that sound? Does that work for you? Uh, sure. Why not? <laughs> I, I just think that it uh, it worked fine. I mean, that would be a very tough decision, I, I think. And ultimately, yeah, yeah. ultimately, she needed to get to a place where she was thinking clearly. It didn't matter. He was going to kill her and her family anyway. He was going to he was going to destroy yeah. the earth and her and her family and she was coming to that realization you know but then obviously uh wise comes in to the rescue anyway uh but i i found it a, a completely believable predicament fizz do you, i know you said you don't have an opinion do you has that changed or do you want to move on uh well i mean i was i was a little bothered by the fact that she flip she seemed to flip flop so much um i felt like she should have been really passionate about one or the other and the the narrative kind of should have continued around that decision um so i I feel like i'm kind of maybe in the middle of this argument uh because ultimately it worked well enough for me but i do see uh there was it was problematic Hmm. but again this is like i said where i'm in the middle with a lot of things i probably would have had a bigger problem if this movie was trying to be more than I thought it was. <laughs> right. Can I get my final thing? Yeah, yeah. I, I was actually about to move us into the wrap up. Let's, let's wrap this up. Let's give our star rating. Okay. Let's, let's give our final analysis here. Okay. So the thing that when I actually thought about this movie didn't make sense to me, despite my uh, uncanny ability to let most things just roll off my shoulders or <laughs> whatever the phrase is. Um, is if you can genetically engineer an entire planet, what you obviously have the technology. Why don't you just grow all these people in tubes like the matrix and then harvest them that way? Why let a planet be around for a million years before you can profit from it? See, I think you're thinking about it too hard. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's why I can see why people maybe have been like, you know, this doesn't make a lot of sense. 
But again, I don't care. Okay. I think that's the that's the summation of how I feel about um, this movie. I, I don't care that it has plot holes. All right, what's your star rating? Oh, am I, I I go I go first with star rating. Don't I usually go last. I can um, come back to you if you want. No, that's all right. Um, so I th- I gave this film three out of five stars. Yeah, that's fair. I I. I, I really thought hard about giving it three and a half. Mm-hmm. Um, and depending on, I mean, there's a lot of year to go. Yeah. Oh yeah. Uh, it, it, it has the potential to go up, not down um, from three. Okay. Um, because again, I, I thought I was completely entertained by this movie. I feel like if you're into sci-fi at all, you should be able to go and enjoy this film and you won't be like, maybe I wasted my money. You'll be like, no. it wasn't amazing, but I was entertained. And I think that's about what a three-star film should be. Okay. Joe, why don't you wrap yours up for us? I give it two and a half stars out of five. Oh. And I've wavered back and forth between <laughs> two, uh, two, two, three and a half. Yeah. I have wavered between those two. Gets me right here, um, Joe. Yeah. Uh, I dislike, I, I appreciate the makeup of some of the, some of the ingredients, but then as an entire mixture of a movies, two hours worth of entertainment, I would have just been happy to go without. All right. And I give this film four out of five. I, I wrote, in parentheses uh, three. I don't know if I can be on the podcast anymore. <laughs> <laughs> I wrote in parentheses 3.9. <laughs> I didn't want to give it three and a half because I enjoyed myself so much. But I mean, this is the thing, Joe, we can have differing opinions. We've done this before. Oh, yeah. We can do it. And I know that you really like the sci-fi genre, TJ. I know that you really do. When it's good. And so you, you can get it. You can get into it a lot more easily mm-hmm. than I can. Yeah, you express like you can get weepy eyed and that you can get into the story. Like you get, you get wrapped into the world building. Like I, I didn't get into those things. So, mm. uh, but I understand like if, if you got into it, you get into it. That's good. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I really enjoyed watching this film. I, I, I had a lot to like and, and despite its flaws, I, you noticed I listed quite a few flaws. Um, I, I still felt like this film to me was something that I was really glad I went to see and that I want to own on Blu-ray and that really helps redeem something that I lost when I went to see Cloud Atlas, the former Wachowskis film. And I, I felt like this this kind of brought it back for me a little bit. And this is what I wanted when I went to see Cloud Atlas. This was exactly what I wanted in most ways. Um, I feel like for all its... Uh, you know, it's glory in, in many ways that I liked about it. I, I, I do feel a little bit of sadness that I think that in, in some ways the Wachowskis were one trick ponies. They, they, they did the matrix and I don't know if they're ever going to hit another one out of the park like that again. So that gives me a little bit of sadness, but I still like this film a lot and I give it four out of five stars. So that's me. Um, IMDb users rate this film 6.0 uh, out of 10 and Rotten Tomatoes, the critics stand at a 22% approval rating with the audience at only a 50% approval rating. So this is a, this is not going to be considered a successful film by the Wachowskis unless something dramatic happens in the next few weeks. And I, I don't see that happening. So that's unfortunate. And I don't think we'll see any more in the Jupiter ascending world, which is un- also unfortunate. I would have liked to have seen more. Uh, so that's, that's, that's too bad. Well, next week we're going to be reviewing Kingsman, The Secret Service. Joe, you are really looking forward to this film, even more than me. I'm, I think it's going to be good, but uh, you, you've been you've been pretty adamant about your excitement about this film. Oh, yeah. so Loads of fun. Can't wait. Going to be seeing what's, 
this weekend? Go ahead. Go ahead, Fizz. I was going to say it's sitting at 80% on Rotten Tomatoes right now. It's getting a mm-hmm. high approval rating. And uh, 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 Matthew Vaughn, I mean, he's a good director, so he's done some good things. So uh, I'm I'm excited. I think it'll be good. Uh, I mean, and if you don't like it, you can always go see Fifty Shades of Grey. So. <clears throat> <clears throat> I'm, so, I'm sorry. I, I think I... <clears throat> Oh, wow. I can't believe that. Can we, can I go back and just pretend you didn't say that? Okay. Well, yeah, you I probably do. should. Yeah. I don't mean that in any way. I hope no one ever sees that movie. I completely so. agree. There are many levels on which you can say that. Okay. So next week, Kingsman, the secret service. So if you want to have caught that this weekend to be prepared for next week's podcast, that's what we'll be doing. In the meantime, you can keep up with all of us and in, in our in the things that we write and the things that we talk about in various different ways. So, Fizz, why don't you tell people, here's the time when you can plug your oh, stuff. Man. Here you go. Tell us, tell uh, us about this. Gosh, do I even do anything else? Uh, it's, um, it's questionable. <laughs> well, you can you can follow me uh, on Twitter if you'd like, at Fizzification. You can follow my podcast's Twitter, at Real World Theo. That, that show is Real World Theology. We mentioned it a couple times. Uh, I don't think I mentioned it. I just want to point that out. I think <laughs> other people mentioned it, which I appreciate. Um, and uh, if you'd like to know more about Real World Theology, then visit our website, realworldtheology.com. Connect with us on Facebook. Subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, so if you enjoyed uh, like kind of the, this show, but you wish we would have taken some of those those paths a little further for some of the the worldviews that they explored the narrative themes some of the meta narratives they tried to get at along you know like gods and uh, reincarnation all mm-hmm. kinds of things like that if those if those kind of topics interest you about this movie then you know check out real world theology we'll be doing an episode on jupiter ascending a little later this month and we do that for most films so like i said if that interests you check it out if not, keep watching, keep listening to the movie bite. <laughs> you should do both, really, or both. Yeah, 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 that's what you should do. All right, Joe. Uh, I think you have like uh, you're you're a member of uh, the CAA, Coffee Addicts Anonymous, and stuff. Why don't you tell people about that? <laughs> yes, you can always hear me on the Movie Bite podcast or on my other podcast, which I usually record and post on Wednesdays. Top Brew episode five coming to you tomorrow. Not live, but fun anyway. Get it while it's fresh. All right. And uh, people can follow you on this Twitter thing, I think. Something mm-hmm. like that. Yep. Uh, I'm on the Twitters. I'm underscore Joe Darnell. All right. You can follow me on Twitter. I am TJ Draper Pro. I unfortunately don't have any other podcasts right now. I'm not a guest on any other podcasts. I don't <laughs> have any. I, I just, I, I don't know. I'm just not very popular. But if you want to follow me uh, and if you want to get my podcast, that's great. And if you want to rate this podcast on iTunes, that'd also be great. Uh, go give us five stars. Just look us up on iTunes. It would be wonderful. Show notes for this episode are at moviebyte.com slash mbpodcast slash 126. You can get the links for everything we talked about. There will be that picture in there that we talked about with Spider-Man and uh, Iron Man and uh, Iron Man telling Spider-Man that, he has, that we have money and that sort of stuff. <laughs> That's where you'll find all those goodies in the show notes. Uh, so be sure to check that out. And by the way, most podcast clients uh, these days pull those show notes right in where you can get them when you're listening on your iPhone or your Android device or whatever. They'll be right there. We keep them right there, fresh for you. So tune in next week for Kingsman, the Secret Service. Guys, thanks for being here. Thanks for a great review, even though we didn't see eye to eye. Thank you for being here, Fizz. Oh, thanks so much for having me, TJ. I always enjoy being on this show. And see you, Joe. Take care, dudes. Bye-bye. Oh, hey, what were we going to talk about after the show that we were going to put on as a tag?
So Civil War. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. You're going to spoil Civil War for me. Well, I don't really spoil it. I, I guess know, necessarily. I so, um, so the, like I said, the one minute version is that they're like superheroes kind of get like, so out of control. The government basically says we have to know who you are. Like superheroes have to basically tell us who they're like, tell us what their secret identity is so we can keep them accountable for the things that they do. And so they, all the superheroes basically split into two factions. And, um, I think like shield is kind of pushing this and shield kind of being like an American government thing in the comics. Mostly it's kind of ironic that captain America, much like he does in winter soldier is not really cool with them like having too much power Mm -hmm. and says, it's really not any of your business to know who we are because we have people to protect and Iron Man, who is Tony Stark and wants everyone to know that he's Tony Stark. Um, is it's kind of like championing the other side, which is um, weird though because you can't quite see him championing the government side in in the current cinematic universe. Uh, well, I think more than you depends could, on the issues. Yeah. yeah, I mean, because like I said, he he doesn't have a problem. But he's like, look, I I balance. Everyone knows I'm Tony Stark. You know, I, what what's the problem? Y'all, you know, you're super. Just protect the people you you care about, right? Yeah. So, so the big thing is that uh, Spider-Man's wrestling with, you know, his inner turmoil. You look back at what's happened to Spider-Man, people find out who he is and they kill Gwen Stacy. You know, like he's gone through a lot of crap, like trying to protect Aunt May and doing all things like this. And because he's trying to keep Peter Parker and Spider-Man separate. And so eventually he decides that it's the right thing to do to reveal who he is. So the first major, um, superhero to come out and basically get behind the whatever act they call it. Um, he comes out and has like a press conference and like, I have a big reveal and he takes off his mask. And it's like Peter Parker. And then like J Jonah Jameson's head explodes and <laughs> right. You know, you know, literally. Things, yeah. So things he like can't that. Even. And so then what <laughs> happens is basically, um, you know, they start, they start hunting captain America and all of his people because they were like, we're not going to tell you who we are. So, the the consequence is if you don't tell them who you are and reveal who you are, you're considered basically a terrorist. Or I don't know if they use the word terrorist in the comic. I can't remember, but they, you know you're basically an outlaw, or you're considered an enemy. So you know you have like Captain America being an enemy of America, and it's it's pretty compelling. And yeah, I'm I'm um, I'm definitely on Captain America's side in this. If that's yeah, how it goes down. That's what I'm saying. And so am I, which is why I asked earlier, because I wasn't going to be like, oh, TJ, you're wrong. You would really be on these guys' side. I was just like, do you know, like, like, because you probably picked the side I'd pick, but I didn't know if you knew why. Um, well, yeah, I mean, but this is just a, it, it is for that. I mean, it, it's continuing what, why I would have before. I mean, because mm-hmm. I'm, I'm continuing to be on Captain America's side throughout the S.H.I.E.L.D. thing. I mean, like, you can see, now that I know some more of this, where this is headed, you can see the steps leading up to this already, where they've, they've set all this up and, and, and they're, they're, they're setting up these dominoes to be, you know, torn down. So, yeah, I mean, and that's one of those things that I didn't really talk about when we, when we, when I saw the Winter Soldier, because I was like, they're not really going to try to do Civil War, are they? I, I didn't think they would be trying to combine like superhero movies like that. But I was like, you know, Captain America really, kind of pushing back against like Nick Fury and stuff and, and the winter soldier totally was in line with what I had read, like with him in civil war. So that to me was like, 
his character staying true to what his character would have done, even though obviously this wasn't the same situation he was in. But it, it, it does seem like they have this stuff lined up and they've had it lined up for a while and they've been pointing in this direction. Um, from what I understand is happening on shield, it's pointing in that direction and yep. pointing in the direction of the inhumans and stuff like that. And eventually I'll catch up because I like the Marvel cinematic universe too much not to, but yeah, uh, I don't it, know it, much about the inhumans, but I've been told that they're already setting that up for, uh, on shield, but I, mm-hmm. I don't know because I'm not familiar with it. Well, that's crazy because you're not going to get them for like almost like another three years now. Mm-hmm. Um, well, so I mean, that, they can do that. Yeah, I totally think they can. It's just it's just really crazy to think that we're in like this kind of uh, world where things are interweaving so um, so well. And on top of that, like, you know, Daredevil's coming out, but then you still have Luke Cage and the other one that I can't remember off the top of my head. Um, that are going to be Netflix series that are all tied into the Marvel Cinematic Universe. And do these ever get to leave at some point? And, you know, are they going to make cameos in like Avengers films or something like that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, even though, uh, given this is where my comic book knowledge fails me because I'm far from an expert in the comics, uh, I don't recall Daredevil ever being uh, in the Avengers but like, you know, Spider-Man and Daredevil have hung out, Daredevil and Punisher, have hung out. you know, like it's just a different kind of vibe. So I would be wondering how much like they're going to cross those things over. Yeah. But it's all very interesting and I'm very excited. I think Civil War, like I think when uh, Age of Ultron comes out, everyone's going to say this is the best Marvel movie we've we've seen. And, and that's until Civil War comes out and they're going to be like, this is the best Marvel movie that's come out so far. So in general, they're all trending better and better, which is pretty crazy. At some point, they, it's got to go the other way, but it's not so far. Yeah, I, I think I think the the problem is that um, movies like um, Ant Man and Black Panther, and hopefully not, but probably Doctor Strange, be in the same you know stratosphere as Avengers, and people are probably going to talk about them as if they're they're like Marvel cinematic universe is kind of losing some of its steam when in fact, any of these films taken by themselves are probably going to be really or pretty great films. They're just not going to be compared to the other uh, Marvel cinematic universe films going to be a mind blowingly good. So I I hope I don't have to listen to a lot of like, you know, the Marvel cinematic universe is losing steam or going downhill or it's losing its, you know, whatever, because they're probably still going to be amazing films. And so, you know, like we talked about at other points, you know, even the Thor films or Iron Man 2 taken on their own. I think they're perfectly entertaining films. They're fun and they have a lot of admirable qualities. But, you know, if you compare Iron Man 2 to Iron Man 1, it doesn't really hold a candle. And, you know, you compare Thor to Captain America, then you can see some of the deficiencies. But um, people not taking them um as the fact that they're still better than most of the other stuff we watch all year. I, I think that's, that's not fair. Yep. And my, my voice is even getting more like it was. So I can, yeah, be like, we should sign I, off. 